Hey everybody, it's Brett, just popping in before the episode starts to say that the episode on 65 is up early now on Patreon. It's up early now, but it will be up on the main feed this Wednesday. You don't have to wait very long. I just wanted to let the Patreon folks know that it's there now, and uh, everybody else, it's there Wednesday, but you can get it now if you want it. Bye! Lifestyle. Forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff. Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror, horror movies, and the horror lifestyle. This week, there's no silly song introduction by me because we have a very esteemed guest and i couldn't do that in front of another human (laughs) that is is not jesse i'm not at that level yet so without further ado let me introduce formerly of the av club uh under the byline aa dowd we have alex dowd hey thank you for having me I i think you should do the song (laughs) <laughs> well, if I were to do one, it would probably <laughs> it would probably be something like, God, what are we talking about today? Um, these are quick improvised songs, Dowd. Let me um oh, okay. get in my brain chamber. Scream um, is a hard one because it's such it's like such a uh uh you know, it's a, like a, a a very rhyme heavy word. I feel like the other ones yeah, just come to you because there's nothing options. else. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, you could do Wu-Tang Clan, like uh Gash rules everything around me, scream, get that money, <laughs> stabby stabby meal, y'all. Uh that's one uh-huh. that comes to mind. Uh Dowd, the stabby meal is a promotional item <laughs> for Scream Six being sold at fast food restaurants in LA. That's I... a little New flesh lore for you. I flew to LA. Uh, let's just say, let's pretend for the re- just to try to get the stabby meal, and I could not because you. Ha- it's something where you have to like, it's fucking BJ Novak or something runs it, and like you have to, <laughs> you know, uh, it's like in a secret location, and you have to like give your phone number. So I'm already like I'm on edge like, about I'm that. I'm not giving BJ <laughs> yeah. Novak my number. I watch Vengeance. He's going to put me in a text thread with John Mayer. Right. I know it's how this be... starts. And yeah. I never got the text saying, "Oh, here, here's how you can reserve a space." I still have it. It's been like a week, and I still haven't gotten it. So I was, I was right not to plan my day around getting the stabbing well, meal, but I really wanted to. If you well, get the text, Jesse Hassinger, my co-host, who I haven't introduced, will you fly back? <laughs> I'm just going to get on a plane immediately and say, "I'm coming, BJ." Gonna get that stabby meal. I it was kind of bummer, bummer to me that they made these like the, so. The deal with this th- this thing is it's called chain, and the idea like makes like elevated versions of a classic fast food or ca- fast casual restaurant thing. It's kind of a fun idea, except I think I'm sure it costs like sixty bucks or whatever for a burger and fries. <laughs> yeah. And 
the idea with the stabby meal is that it's like a happy meal, obviously. And it comes with something like even comes with like a scream pin, which is cute. But like, I was like, you guys should have just really made like actual scream toys. Like that would be so much more clutch than like, Oh, it's the elevated version. It's like a metal pin that falls off your backpack after a week. No, I want an action figure of Ghostface or our other beloved scream characters, such as Wednesday Adams and girl from in the Heights and uh sydney whoever and they did not do that so i I don't feel that much sadness over not getting the stabby meal i think it's a great idea that someone else should uh should take over (laughs) yeah pin's a little highfalutin for this idea i feel isn't it it's a little it's a little a24 yeah exactly oh exactly yeah we're not yeah and so is the price point as far as i understand yeah (laughs) paramount's taking a page from a24 they're gonna release a leather-bound book of the scream (laughs) six screenplay where they have have you seen there's like a viral twitter i think it was a thread not just like a tweet where someone bought those one of those expensive a24 books that's like the screenplay in a bound book and like they just haphazardly threw images into it and like they don't fit on the pages correctly it's a full bleed right so it doesn't it goes all the way into the gutter and just looks horrible (laughs) yeah yeah it's insane. I can't imagine buying merch uh, and getting that. But Get like, not, um, not just buying merch, but sometimes paying uh, for the chance to buy merch first. Yes. Yes. Is that real? Is that yeah, how popular can... A24 merch is? Yeah. yeah oh you subscribe God. to like their, their store and then you get first crack at it. So we They're should like imme- a Mondo style establishment at this point. Yes, exactly. We should get, um, we got to get your, your $55 white t-shirts that say scream and times new Roman on them. And you know, and we'll just, we'll sell that to Paramount. It'll be great. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Jesse and Dowd, um, did you guys overlap at the AV club? You did. You must have. Um, yeah, years. that's Alex edited everything basically I ever wrote for the AV club. So it's his. What do you fault, have to say for yourself? Or less, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, Alex is. I don't want to embarrass him, but he's my favorite editor that I've ever had. So I'm oh, delighted. I, just can't sweet, be- Jesse. I-, I can't believe that we haven't had you on before. Since I- you I- are kind of a horror here. guy. Yeah. 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 For sure. I've never had the audacity to ask, um, but I did have the audacity to ask every single AV Club commenter to join the show. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Come on in. Swarm in the room. Um, I wanted to give you guys that experience again since it's been a while. <laughs> I feel like the, the, the comments at, at Polygon, not as numerous, but sometimes as mean. So I feel like I've seen a, a little of bit your, of that. <laughs> I feel like a few of your haters on AV Club have to have, have migrated over to say, like, stop talking about Phantom Menace or whatever it's, they tell you. It's my fondest wish that, that someone would move over to Polygon <laughs> and then go, oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, Jesse, I mean, are I, you still mixing it up with the commenters? Sometimes I sometimes I do say hi. <laughs> I, I actually had, like, a nice conversation with someone about um, All Quiet on the Western Front where we were both like, I see the point you're making, and, like, we can, we can basically agree on a lot of the stuff. It was very nice. Uncharacteristic, but nice. <laughs> Alex, what's I, your policy? with uh, comments with comments um yeah. i generally don't i don't get in there um but it's honestly it's not uh for me it really isn't a these people are beneath me or they're not worth talking to it's more that i i already put an enormous amount of my personal time into my job and, and into yeah. uh in into this profession that we've we've found ourselves in I, I, <laughs> yes. I, I it can't make it a full-time thing to be to be in the comment section as well that way lies 
madness. I yeah, I mean, exhibit A right here. So I, right. I, I <laughs> you, you were absolutely, you're correct not to do this. I'm, I, I admire that, and I admire how relatively little you're able to be on Twitter compared to some of us. That that was a conscious decision. I would say <laughs> that was very much me scaling back for because I was um, that that was like self care. <laughs> yeah, not being yeah. On Twitter I, as much, you know. I am begging. Mr. Musk to fuck <laughs> just let up enough that I can stop using it because I have tried every form of attempting to quit this website and it is proven to be quite an addiction. <laughs> um, they should make a horror movie about that. I'm sure there already are uh, several. You know, the Videodrome remake should be about social media. I don't know who that sounds horrible <laughs> on its face, but like someone's going to do a Videodrome re- remake and I don't know. Someone could uh, uh, really make uh, make that sing. Fox yeah. News is is video drum turned reality. I have to say that every week. It's part of the part of the show, <laughs> apparently. Um, all right, what do we have to do before we get into Scream Six? Uh, I don't want to waste too much time on the news of the week. There's not that much. Um, I haven't said what we're here to talk about. Of course, we're talking about the most anticipated horror release, uh, genre release of 2023. Of course, the biggest release on March 10th. We're talking about. Adam Driver in 65. Alex, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I haven't seen 65 yet, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I texted I Jesse to. earlier, I'm like, kind of. I'm going to fuck with them so bad. And <laughs> I, I was hoping I could do it more convincingly, where, like, we kept you going for, like, several minutes, think, thinking that, like, I conf- I accidentally booked you for this, thinking you'd seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of showed your hand concealing it. <laughs> yeah, I did show my hand. Um, Jesse, let me... Uh, pull up the full title of 65 which you have told me is not the full title but i will defend myself and say i think it is here's my dramatic reading of the title of 65 which we will be talking about jesse on a special bonus episode out this week that's right it's a two episode week at the new flesh podcast because fucking sony made it so and put out a a second movie on this day a third movie if you count a third wide release if you count uh, Champions, the Bobby Fairley movie with Woody Harrelson, which I have seen. Um, it just feels crazy to have three wide releases out. It's like vintage. I haven't. I can't remember the last time that happened. But anyway, dramatic reading of 65. Here it is. 65. Million years ago. A visitor crash landed. On Earth. <laughs> That is the title card. That is how it is revealed. Jesse, defend your stance that it is not the title <laughs> of the just, movie. <laughs> I mean, 60, 65 is in a different font and appears first. It's just very, very. It's just like they stuck the poster of the movie into the middle of the into the middle of the. Credits. Did you all? It's did very, you not laugh? I laughed very hard. I thought it was very. I kind like, of like. It's like I, it's like I, a title with ellipses. It was hilarious. I, I, I sighed. I think a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd the like energy, side to myself. <laughs> the energy really got sucked out of the 12 noon screening of 65 at the Sony conference room is what I'm going to call it. It's not a conference room, it's a screening room. But It was like not it was not uncrowded. I went out I I had a horrible compulsion. I like lit out of my family and work responsibilities to go see it at four o'clock just at a commercial showing at the AMC Empire in Times Square. So you got that beautiful Dolby screen. Or uh, I did. I, well, it wasn't the Dolby. Yeah, it was on the Prime screen. It was like the biggest screen I'm sure that it's showing on in, in New York City, possibly in, in the country, because Everett Scream is going to be sh- showing Scream and maybe Creed. Um, 
And it was like fairly crowded. It was crowded enough that I mean, for a, for an afternoon on a Thursday, uh, it was crowded enough that like a couple sat next to me, and I was like, okay, I guess I'm putting my fucking mask on. Like, <laughs> kind of harsh my my afternoon movie buzz to have someone right next to me. And the prime screen is pretty on the prime ridiculous. screen. Yeah. There are so many seats in there. Exactly, um, but it was it was better. Att- I mean, I, this happens every time I go. Every time I go to a movie at a weird time in New York, I'm like, I'm going to be the only one there, and there's always some other weirdo besides. And you me. get like Fred Armisen and Eurotripped every time. Yes, exactly. Is that a reference <laughs> that tracks for everybody? Okay, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> all right, I don't know if I have anything more to say about 65. Um, all right, I'll cut in point. But you can hear more about 65 later this week when Jesse and I devote an entire episode to it, which, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say pretty generous of us to do that. And <laughs> I don't know if we'll be able to fill the time. Um, it's going to be a full 12 minute episode. But uh, Alex and I were talking about this before we started recording. And it's like the trailer is such like it sells the movie totally well. Like I totally want to see the movie based on the trailer, the premise. Like if I just read the premise and log line, the, the stupid fake title I read earlier, like I'm like, yeah, I'm in. That sounds good. It's so it, yeah, it's just crazy to me that like the way Sony was treating it, basically not screening it for critics, essentially. I mean, you could say they did, but it's basically a technicality <laughs> that they did. Um, they were treating it like they didn't want anyone to see it. And I just was saying off mic that, you know, it's one of those things. It looks good enough. You could have really pretended it was good and made a think like a pretty sizable impact on opening weekend. Instead, it'll probably do like, I don't know, 10 to 15 and fade away. But uh, again, we'll talk about that next week uh, or this week on the 65 episode. God damn it. There's so much podcast to record. All right. Let's get with the news. First bit in peace. Uh, unless Alex is a video game head. I don't know if we'll have much to say on this one. Uh, Blumhouse and James Wan are joining forces with the company behind the video game Dead by Daylight mm. to make a, quote, scary cinematic adaptation. The search for a writer and director is currently underway. So new Flesh listeners, get in there. Email uh, james at jameswan.com. What do you think it is? Uh, get, get your pitch in there. See if you can write the Dead by Daylight movie, which from what I understand is like a multiplayer slasher video game. I've played it, actually. Okay. Uh, Do you think it would lend itself well to a film? Or is it more like... In my mind, it's like a Tekken-style game. Please tell me I'm wrong. No, no. It's it's an asymmetrical multiplayer game. So one one person plays the killer, and everybody else plays people trying to escape the killer. So There was the Friday the 13th game that was that, and I loved it. Yeah, it's it's a lot like that, um, actually. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that would probably lend itself fine. It would just, I mean, it's a slasher movie, probably, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like the post, the poster, I guess, or not the poster, the cover of the game makes it look like they could have some iconic slasher. I cannot, they're, you know, they're trying to get some slasher uh, imagery out there. It looks like there's a cool mask involved, potentially. Uh, I'm intrigued by this. Jesse, do you have any, do you care at all? Uh, I mean, I'm going to go see it if it comes out. But Would you like to that, hear what Jason Blum <laughs> has to say about it? <laughs> Absolutely. He's so insightful. Uh, we know there are so many fans of Dead by Daylight out there, and I think it's imperative we find someone who appreciates and loves the world as much as we do to help us bring the game to the big screen. Um, we know our partners at Behavior and Atomic Monster will help us bring the best version of this game to life. We love reading corporate PR speak on the show, and that will continue. Um <laughs> Let's well, can I say go, one thing about it? Please. Though, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, please. 
I feel like the game has kind of endured and has managed to sort of stick around and people are still playing it. Um, um, but there's also a lot of DLC content. And so you can uh, you can kind of uh, buy licensed characters to play as, as the killer. So you can play as Freddy Krueger in it. You can play as, um, I'm trying to remember who else, um, Jason being one that I think you can't play as in it. Uh, but right, he's got his own Myers. Right, exactly. Um, but, you know, you pay $10 or something and then suddenly you have a new you know, you have a new slasher you can insert in there um, to the point where I kind of wonder, do people still care about whatever their original model, like whatever the brand killers are that, that are, that you can play as in these games, or is it now all just, Hey, I can, I can play as, you know, famous monsters of, of movie land. Right. Like that, even Fortnite now, it's like, you can be the ghost face <laughs> right. guy. And it's like, <laughs> why, what does this have to do with anything? Um, yeah. It's really interesting. I have no idea if that movie will track, I just feel like I'm all for any horror movie at this point, right? Like it's probably going to work. Like I think a dead by daylight movie divorced from the fact that it's a video game. If you market it right and it's a cool horror movie, it'll work if it's just a slasher movie on its own. Right. Mm. And you know, if it has that built in audience, I think it's even more of a, a a win opportunity, but yeah, it definitely, I I wonder if they're going to try to even do what you're talking about and like incorporate the other shit that Blumhouse owns into it. In that would be very popular in the in the age that we're living in. You know, Absolutely, sort of fucking lootly. The, the multiverse world, no way home. You know, yeah. Approach. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, everyone wanted Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, which never happened because, according to the Ash side, they've said we wouldn't have control over Ash and like what happens to him. So we never wanted to like relinquish that. I'm like. You know, he's not a real person. It's okay. <laughs> That's what I would say. I want to see Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. I would watch any collab between the horror uh, things. I think, yeah, I think you're right that that would be, that is what people want to see these days and it would make money. And if, you know, it does, just because it would make money doesn't mean it has to be bad. You know, they could do it, right? It could All be right. Space Jam, though. It could, be, it could always be space, Horror space jam. Oh God! It always be Space Jam. Read uh, Jesse's famous pan of Space Jam Two <laughs> on SportsAlcohol.com if you uh, if you want to laugh. It's a great. If read. you dare, if you dare, that just um, happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the famous Space Jam quote. Uh, can you yeah, say Freddy that? Will say that in, is that in, in Dead by Daylight or something? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Um, this news caught my eye because when I was a young intern at Lionsgate slash Good Universe in like 2013, I guess. Oh my God, that was 10 years ago. Um, they were, they had this project that was on the weekly meeting every week. We talked about it and there was updates and it was a Sam Raimi production. Sam Raimi was going to direct it. And it was, tell me if any of you remember this, uh, Day of the Triffids, a remake oh. of what a 1950s novel that's been a movie i think in the in the 60s maybe killer and plants yeah it's killer plants but the premise as i read it in this like 10 year old article or actually 13 year old article because the ghost house partnership with uh between mandate pictures which was also a subsidiary of where i worked uh good universe and lionsgate i can't really explain how, how they're all connected but they are connected um that description of the of the Triffid sounds insane. Um, it's classic paranoid alien invasion stuff. When a shower of meteorites lights up the sky, it creates such a gorgeous sight that most Earthlings can't help but look at it. So 99% of the population goes blind 
as a result, but it gets worse. The meteorites unleash triffids, which are plants capable of moving around so they can better attack the blind. Um, it sounds fucking insane. I can't believe it's taken this long to happen. But the news is, sadly, I brought up the Sam Raimi thing. I shouldn't have because it makes it sound like way cooler than it is. But uh, the guy who did a director on Chernobyl, his name is Johan Renk. And Angry Films is a, the studio tackling an adaptation of the classic British sci-fi novel, Day of the Triffids. It will be an Amazon movie not a tv show is this correct oh nope i was wrong sources say amazon intends to adapt the book oh my god as a string of miniseries detailing the invasion from multiple points of view in multiple cities i have a bone to pick with this right away in real time can't we just make movies why do we have to make everything look like why do you have to plan for this to be a string of miniseries from multiple this, points of view? This sounds very forward thinking to me because I usually say, can't we just make this a movie? And now they're going to make me say, can't we just make this a regular show? <laughs> <laughs> because I would, you know, that like different points of view, that's, that seems like it lends itself well to this bizarre experimental structure known as episodic television, <laughs> where you have episodes of things. And like one episode is a thing and then you string a bunch of episodes together into a season of things. It's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. What the hell is a string of miniseries? That's like when they, when comic books bust out the maxi series thing. It's like, what is that? That is not a thing. That's I made haven't up. heard a new term like this since quick bite Quibi entered the realm. <laughs> uh, Alex, what do you think about those, the, the Triffids and the string of miniseries? Have you read this or know anything about it? I have this news to me. Um, I yeah. assume they just announced this. This I had to like dig for this. This was announced a week ago, and like barely anybody picked it up. This has it to was, be a Last of Us thing, right? I mean, um, I think yes. The first line of the article says, "Move over, the Last of Us." There's a new <laughs> biological yeah. threat sprouting to annihilate mankind. You are a hundred percent fucking right. So I'm not watching that show. So that completely uh, missed my. You know, I just totally forgot about that. Some so, executive was like, wait, so the zombies are fungus, they're mushrooms. What's like fungus? What what, what, what IP <laughs> is out there that we can grab? And they were like, oh, Day of the Triffids. All right. Moving well, forward. Fung- we need fungal IP right away. You know, they always learn the right lessons, right? <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. Like, why do people like this? It's probably because of the spores. Like, we got to get more spores in there. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Um. But yeah, famously adapted in 62 as a movie, three times as a radio play, and twice as a TV miniseries for the BBC. But as far as I can tell, it's never been done as a string of miniseries before. So this is new territory for the Triffids. Uh, Amazon Studios miniseries. Wow. Um, I have to mention this because it got a headline, but it's kind of bullshit. But in an AMA, Sam Raimi, Speak of the Devil, said... The door isn't quite closed on Drag Me to Hell 2, despite, I think, in 2019 saying the reason there's not a sequel is because the ending of the movie was so definitive and he doesn't have a story because in my mind, the character got killed and worse. So I didn't know how to proceed with the sequel. Usually for me, I'm left with a character that I really am interested in or a concept that really feels like it needs to continue. But this is such a definitive ending that in my mind, I didn't know where to start with the sequel. So on Reddit, someone asked and he said, the team at Ghost House Pictures, Romo Adam, and Jose Canas are trying to come up with a story that would work, and I'm anxious to hear if they do. Um, 
you know, I am not going to say no to Sam Raimi doing Drag Me to Hell 2. Um, but I like I like the the you know the inkling that he's not going to do it unless it's good. But I don't know. I've seen some Sam Raimi productions uh, that he uh, you know didn't direct, and I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little five is one of those actually. Is that right? Yeah, his name. He's oh on yeah, because he works with those guys. I think his name is on Haunt too. Maybe. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, Drag Me to Hell starred Allison Lohman, of course, who now you can find on Twitter and Instagram tweeting joe rogan clips if you're interested you can check that out <laughs> maybe that's a good way in for drag me to hell too uh she buys some like uh uh, uh what are they stick diet powder what do they sell yeah. all that stuff? <laughs> and it's haunted or something i don't it know it does se- it does seem like she's in hell although i'm not sure she knows it <laughs> uh weirdly enough her husband has done this show twice really oh yeah of course the guy yeah yeah yeah. her husband if you are new to the show or unfamiliar is mark neville dean of neville dean taylor the directors of crank the crank trilogy of course and ghost rider 2 and we just reported isn't brian taylor doing the new hellboy the the third reboot or the second reboot i guess of hellboy that's not Guillermo del Toro. So yeah, yes, that is. These are these are things that are happening. Um, that's all I got to say on Drag Me to Hell too, because I feel like it's not real. So we'll move right on. A twenty four. Jesse acquired out of Sundance a movie that I, th- I think you saw as well. Talk to me. Oh no, I missed that one. I think. Oh, okay. Um, well, it fucking rocks. It was. It's oh. an Australian horror movie that is one of the best I saw at Sundance. It was a. It's a really fun ride. And A24 has said they will release it on July 28th, 2023. It has a theatrical release. I am delighted it's not going like straight to Apple or whatever A24 could have done with a horror movie like this. It should be seen in the theater. It is like... Um, how can I describe... It's The premise is basically, what if Flatliners, like the, the premise of Flatlining were like a dumb party trick that was treated like a viral challenge in the real world. And people did that. Like, fuck a Ouija board. Let's do this instead. And that's kind of the premise of the movie. And like, what happens when something comes through from there? Uh, It rocks. It also feels like it could be a franchise if they market it correctly and it, you know, makes a lot of money. It has total potential to like, just be a franchise. And does A24, they don't have a franchise, do they? Am I crazy to say that? I can't think of any. Well, ho- I, yeah, the whale two is coming next summer, but <laughs> yes. um, we'll have to wait for that. But I think actually Kevin Smith is is threatening. I'll say <laughs> this is the word I'll use a tusk two, which technically I feel like I feel like they would let him take that one. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna make him <laughs> like whatever contract he signed where he's like, well, we get we get first dibs. I bet they'll be like, you can go ahead, Kevin. You can do your <laughs> little road show with that. Hold one. on, isn't Yoga Hoser's tusk two? Basically, it's. Yeah, you know, oh my God, because yeah, the third one is supposed to be Moose Jaws, but he has talked. He has, he has talked about doing a follow up to Tusk besides. Well, Moose you know Jaws. what? I should have put this in the bits and pieces because the biggest news of the week is that Kevin Smith has stopped smoking weed. You guys, I don't know if you knew Whoa. this. Well, no. Kevin Smith, I mean, who wow. has smoked weed every day, all day since. Does everyone know the answer? Say it's it with Zach me and Miri. Zach oh, and Miri make a porno. No, it's okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to jump very the gun there. Si- very silly game I made up on the spot. But weirdly, yes, Silent Bob, the notorious stoner, never smoked weed, really, until Seth Rogen <laughs> got him into it. 
on the set of Zach and Miri. And then, of course, he pivoted to podcasting and smoking weed every day and like pitching really stupid shit while he was high and then writing it and making really bad movies. So uh, as of I think it was earlier this week, he did a Facebook post that said it's been five weeks since he smoked and he is clear headed. And I think he said no disrespect to my green friends but i like this you know how i'm feeling now and i'm not smoking weed anymore so do you think what what do you what are the implications we have to like for stop the episode and for do ta- for all for Tusk too. Yeah. yes the implications of the kevin smith off weed um what could what could be like will will his movie making get better um is everything my parents told me about weed correct um, <laughs> i mean it can't get worse yeah, it's not. Right. <laughs> it's it can always get can. a little worse. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm trying to find the put here. I found it. Today marks my fifth week without weed. I feel less numb and more present than I have in ten years or more. No judgment on my green friends, but this is how I want to live from now on. I am now referring to my weed smoking friends as my green friends from now on. It's really confusing when I'm hanging out with my um, environmentally conscious friends. I don't know what to call them. Um, <laughs> all right, moving along. Trailer announcements. The Wrath of Becky. Becky 2. The trailer, Jesse, is out. I haven't watched it. Have you watched it? I have not watched it, no. Fantastic. We'll move right along. Alex, have you watched the the Wrath of Becky trailer? No, and I actually had no idea. I mean, I I saw that title because I think it might actually be at South by Southwest. It is at South by. It's world premiering there, in fact. Right. Um, And I'll be there. Maybe I'll watch it. Um, it, I had no idea it was a... I should have put two and two together there that it was a sequel to Becky. <laughs> I didn't much care for Becky, but uh, I guess I'm... You know, I I understand that viewpoint, but I thought it was fun enough. It was like a... What is it? Just like a gory Home Alone, right? It was just yeah. like her fucking shit up. Kevin James was like a Nazi or something in it. Mm-hmm. I think it... I think, Jesse, did we talk about that movie? Did we agree I, it delivered? I, yeah, I caught up with it later. I think I think okay. like, I was an outlet I write for in the UK wanted to review it, so I went I circled back and and because it was on VOD by that time in the US, and so I had pretty low expect. I you know had missed it, so it wasn't like something I was watching with any anticipation. And I thought, oh, that was kind of fun. Uh, you know, I had an okay time with it, but and I kind of I like the the, t- the title kind of gets me. I like the idea of Wrath great of Becky, title. But, yeah. yeah. Um, do you do but, you like the idea of swapping Kevin Smith with? Do either of you know who it is? Ooh. Oh, the the villain yeah. instead of Kevin James. It, it uh, is no. Sean William Scott. Oh, all right. Isn't that fun? Okay. Where's he been? Yeah. Right? <laughs> is, is he playing a neo Nazi? I haven't watched the trailer because I try not to, so I don't know. But uh, tweet at uh, at uh, what's your what's your handle at AA Dowd. Let him know if Sean William Scott's <laughs> playing a Nazi in uh in Becky. This is what I like to do to people. I like to. Uh, this is not quite doxing, but it's in the same <laughs> wheelhouse. It's definitely related, I would say. I don't know why you do that. Yes, in the ballpark. Yeah. yeah, check them out. No, you can tweet at me, Brett Redacted. I, I really want to know uh, all about the wrath of Becky. But actually, don't tell me. I'll, I'll just see it. Uh, Dowd will tell me after he sees it at the world premiere at uh, South by Southwest. Is there anything on your radar for South by that's like you're actually stoked about, or you just kind of go? Um. There's nothing, to be 100% honest with you, there's nothing on the schedule where I'm like, fuck yes, I must see that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a lot on there that I actually sort of feel liberated by that a little bit because I, I feel like I often, when I go to film festivals, I go in with very high expectations for one title or another. And then, you know, it's kind of, un- it ends up being kind of unfair to those films sometimes because 
Sure. A little bit too much baggage to to put on them. Um, I sort of feel with this lineup that I'm going to kind of um, go where the wind takes me a little bit. Um, I love it. You know, and just kind of probably going blind to a lot of things. I I, I went through and made a list today of things that sounded interesting, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess to answer your question, there's nothing. I mean, I, I this is relevant to this podcast. I guess I am interested in the new Evil Dead film. I will be seeing. That. Yes, there we go. I knew there was something big that I was yeah. leaning on you to tell me because I forgot. Right, um, <laughs> Evil Dead Rise is also premiering there. It may have shown somewhere else. I'm not sure, but that's very exciting. Uh, I haven't watched that trailer either, but the poster, Jesse and I did a whole episode on the poster. I'm just kidding. We didn't, <laughs> but we did talk about it and it, it it's, it's weird that they just were like, just put the smile lady on it. Um, but I think the mo- Jesse said the trailer made it look better. So yeah, uh, the trailer looks intense. Like uh, a buddy of mine who has small children and was is like a horror guy, like you know, goes to see you know is not a stranger to like intense horror shit. Yeah, like, like saw the trailer and was like, mm, I'm not sure if I can handle this right now. <laughs> wow, uh, I don't. I, I think it's more. It looked like I, I think they cut a different trailer because I saw a trailer in front of 65 today that I didn't think I had seen before. Exactly has uh, same basic deal, but it seemed like it was cut differently. Um, and it does look more like children endangered by their parent more than like are the children going to get become deadites, which I think was more of our question. The first, after the first trailer, we were like, Oh shit, is this going to be like really upsetting to watch? Yeah. But I think it, it, the, the newer trailer looks like it pulls back a little from that. It still looks, it looks like an evil dead movie though. It doesn't, That's I was, cool. I was afraid that it was going to be like, Oh, they're just making like a, you know, something's wrong with something's wrong with mommy ghost movie. And this looks like an Evil Dead movie. It looks like well, that's uh, encouraging. Unless crazy. you mean, unless you mean the Fetty Alvarez remake, which I, I mean, it doesn't rain on. It does not, not look like. dissimilar to that. But uh, uh, <laughs> now, it's probably it, more. Yeah, is it related to that film, or is it in the original continuity? Are we to believe this picks up after Army of Darkness, or is, I it, think- is it a new thing? I think it's its own thing. Okay. Although I wonder if it's going to be the kind of thing where it's like it has the Book of the Dead, and you you are you are left to decide, you know, whether this takes place in the same world as the others or whatever. But I don't get the impression that it is particularly connected to either of them. <laughs> what if it's like Evil Dead Two, and they just like remake the Evil Dead remake? Yeah, they should. They should. Yeah, <laughs> the first half meta. of it should just be the same thing again. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. I'm I'm interested in that. Um. Anyway, I'm so excited for that movie that I emailed the press people for it like way like way too fucking early, like last month. And they're like, can you fucking email in April? Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I'm like, uh, if you've set up an Evil Dead Rise screening, I would like to be invited. These are the I want to go to the first one. Can you send me the the first one? I'm like, if you could get me the if there's an earlier one than the first one, that would be great. (laughs) If you can screen it for me personally, I would I would accept the first one. And yeah, so I probably will see it last <laughs> at this point <laughs> based on my email skills. But all right, let's keep going with the news. The Gorge, which we've already talked about as the new Scott Derrickson joint. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy. We already knew this. It stars Miles Teller. We already knew this. It now stars Jesse. Third, I don't know if she's top build, third build or what, but Sigourney Weaver has oh. signed on to... Uh, the new Scott Derrickson. He's riding the high. Picture. He's riding high after everyone but us love the black phone. I don't know <laughs> yes. what happened I'm there. I'm on you guys. I'm on you guys. Is it, about that one. Is yes. that? Is that okay? So I guess this has happened again with Cocaine Bear, 
but like that was a moment where I'm like, that this can't be right. Like other people, <laughs> they they saw a different movie. Like I just couldn't fathom that people liked that movie. I just I still don't. Um, and we've talked about it quite a bit, and I alienate probably half our listeners every time I do. So I should probably stop. But uh, did you find it particularly bad, or were you just like that was whatever? I thought it was pretty mediocre on a whole. Um, I thought it was like a one of the countless very forgettable Stephen King adaptations I've seen in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. It felt kind of in that uh, in that lane for me. Um, I've read the short story, and the short story is uh, works perfectly well. But the short story yes. is very, very contained, you know. And I feel like everything that's added in that film is is a detriment to it. It's, it's very much well uh, subtraction by addition. You got a hashtag put some dirt in the phone to hashtag give it some heft or whatever the fuck that whole thing was. Pack it with dirt, give it some heft. It's burned into my brain. Um, I, I feel like Blackfoot and Cocaine Bear though both feel like to me, not to make this podcast the ongoing interconnected theory of, of just Brett and I puzzling over why people liked Blackfoot really and Cocaine bad Bear. movies, yeah. It doesn't feel like it's the revenge of Ain't It Cool News. I've probably said something like this before, but like, it just sure feels like have. yes. Is it is it two thousand four and and like and you you all saw this at Buttonumathon or some shit like what it just seems like this should be something that gets a breathless Harry Knowles review in December of two thousand three and then it comes yeah. to theaters in March two thousand four and everyone's like what Jesus Christ what was he on about <laughs> uh, but now they like those movies make eighty million dollars so you know what what do I it's, I'm just confused because it's rare that I feel like I'm being the voice of like maturity or whatever in in looking. At genre movies because like i'm not i don't have like sophisticated tastes and that kind of thing so when i'm kind of being kind of condescending and going like are you guys 12 years old what's going on here like then i feel like that's a problem <laughs> no offense to mr scott derrickson uh who has who made a is couple listening movies I scary. yeah yeah obviously yeah must must be listening i feel like uh, I, can't I, even I did like about the movie i'm always afraid he's lurking Derek Derrickson is that's the scariest thing about him is that he's on Twitter all the time oh yeah Um, he is one of the few filmmakers who if he did hear that you were talking shit about him on this podcast might oh yeah he'd get in touch yes yes Yes. I fear that I fear this very thing very much (laughs) thankfully it has not happened uh the only scraps I've gotten into on Twitter are with um I go bigger you guys I get into scraps with people like Kumail Nanjiani uh, oh, Kingo. The, yes. Famously. Yeah, Kingo. Uh, Kingo dies in the Eternals. And also uh, in my mentions, or no, what do you call it? Uh, in my DMs, apologizing for, I forget what it was. It was uh, He yelled at me about the big sick when I tweeted something about it, even though it was a very positive review. He was like, why would you, you said it was too long. What would you cut? And I'm like, uh, I'm not an editor of your film. I don't know. I liked your movie. Stop yelling at me. And I was, was tired. Like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, anyway, I didn't need to go into that at all. But here, uh, the rest of the news. Poltergeist. Amazon is reportedly looking into Poltergeist as one of the franchises that it can exploit now that it owns MGM. So they just had a huge hit with Creed 3. Creed 3 made like over $100 million worldwide opening weekend. It had like a huge fucking opening. And that's an Amazon fucking property now. So in that same vein, Poltergeist is something that, according to... <laughs> I was going to say friend of the show, Jeff Snyder. But he's <laughs> the only... One of the few people who's blocked me on Twitter. 
is Jeff Snyder because he's insane and I make fun of him all the time. Anyway, he is a Hollywood reporter who has some knowledge of these things. And he says Amazon is prioritizing poltergeist and that uh, this situation is complicated by the fact that Spielberg would likely need to be involved. All this stuff is up in the air. Amazon's still figuring it out. Uh, what do we have here in MGM? What do we want with it? And how do we want to do it is what's going on over there. So they're pillaging all this stuff. Um, there was a remake. Speaking of the time when I was an intern, I was there when they made that movie, the Poltergeist remake with, oh, Gil, wow. with Gil Kennan, the Gil Kennan remake, which, you know, with that name attached, I was a big Monster House guy, right? And I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. And that movie might be one of the most like lifeless examples of a remake of a classic horror movie. So fucking bad. It's like, I remember thinking that it did have some, like, touches where I was like, oh, that was like a nice, the way he moved the camera, like, this is very faint praise. But, but I remember going, oh, that, like, that scene was blocked pretty well. Or, Alex, like, he- jump in here. You don't remember <laughs> anything like that, do you? <laughs> uh, I never saw the Poltergeist remake. Because I, re- I reviewed it at AV Club, did. so I would have, I I would have scared you. <laughs> Look at this. Look at the memories. They're Jesse, coming up. Jesse took a lot of bullets from me over the years. The <laughs> yeah, that's how it's, this... I, as I was, called them, movies ahead, I would see anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, that's how this episode, before we started recording, started. I was like, did you have to go see 65? And he was like, you know, I did not. <laughs> and i feeling good. Yeah. So, uh, respect. Respect that. Um, and where can people read you now? I forgot to give you the plug. We like to do our plugs mid-episode so nobody can find them. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm at Cron uh, now. Cron uh, is, is the sister site of the Houston Chronicle. So Hell yeah. Uh, and you can read uh, uh, Alex reviews every week up on Cron. And now we will continue with the news. This is how we do plugs now. Uh, Malum, I think is how it's pronounced. M-A-L-U-M. It's the first original production from the new genre studio called Welcome Villain, which put out a movie we reviewed last week called Hunt Her, Kill Her. But I guess that wasn't an original production. They must have acquired it. But they made a movie called Malum. And longtime listeners of the show will remember that we covered a movie in 2014 when it came out called Last Shift, directed by Anthony de Blasi. And that movie is getting a remake i guess is what this is by the same director of the movie so here's what they say about it malum is a bold and expanded reimagining of the 2014 horror cult classic last shift on a search to uncover the mysterious circumstances surrounding her father's death a newly appointed police officer is assigned to the last shift in a decommissioned police station where a notoriously vicious cult saw their demise years prior the lone officer at the station she soon finds herself barraged by terrifying paranormal uh, events and in the process is taken on a journey during which she learns the shocking truth behind her family's entanglement with a demented cult leader. Uh, it's funny reading that description how much similar it is to like the setup for Hunt Her Kill Her. They really just love woman is in trouble uh, yes. situations and it works. Last shift, I'll give it a hearty recommendation right now if you've never seen it. I think it's probably on Shutter or something like that. Definitely check out Last Shift and keep an eye out for Malum, which apparently comes out March 31st. It's one of those situations, Jesse, where they've emailed several times talking uh-huh. about like interviews and stuff, but they will not give me the fucking movie, <laughs> yes, <laughs> no matter how yes. many times I ask. So I don't know if that... I, I think it's just not done yet, is what, I've, what they've told me. So um, maybe it's just not done yet, but it's supposed to be coming out March 31st. So we will talk about it uh, then, probably. Um, 
the Escape from New York remake is still happening from Radio Silence, the guys who did the Scream uh, reboot and Scream 6, which we're talking about today. They have talked about uh, it a little more. They say we don't know enough about the movie yet to be able to say anything, but requel is the idea. There's no way to remake how great that movie is. It would be a fool's errand to try. So, you know, we'll try to borrow uh, what we love from it and find a new way to put the package together. Kurt Russell's involvement is still up in the air, but it sounds like the idea here is to reboot rather than remake it from the ground up. Escape from New York was set in 70 or 1997, I believe, in Manhattan. You got Escape from L.A. Uh, great movies. Don't know how I feel about any of these John Carpenter movies being remade, even though like Assault on Precinct 13, you know, pretty inoffensive remake, totally a fine movie, but yeah. like really, really pales when you watch the original. And I'm imagining that's how this will be. But I don't know. These things have a way of falling apart, don't they? Remember uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson in Big Trouble in Little China? Where's that movie? <laughs> it's uh i'm sure it's in a drawer somewhere at seven bucks productions uh i uh this is this is uh whatever you can cut this if this is boring i i was went to when i was in los angeles what was in, i did not get the scream happy meal but i did go to universal studios uh with my kid and we went on the tu- studio tour and i feel like they had parking spaces for seven bucks or like vans or something. And they were like, that's the rocks production company. <laughs> I was like, wow, look at those parking spaces. I'm sure they were, they, I'm sure they're up at five in the morning drinking raw eggs or whatever to, to sprint to their parking spaces. Um, Not only am I keeping that in, we're making that a clip on Twitter and I'm sharing it around. <laughs> Fantastic. That, we're putting, we're putting ad spend behind that. One. Great. Great. We're going to get so many listeners. Um, I have to. There's some. Uh, I don't care about the rest of this news. We're gonna go very quickly. Aaron Taylor Johnson. This. The rest of this is basically casting news. Aaron Taylor Johnson has joined everybody fucking else who's in Robert Eggers's Nosferatu. He has joined Bill Skarsgård, Nicholas Holt, Lily Rose Depp, and Willem Dafoe. We don't know who's playing who. It's being shot in Prague. Uh, oh wait, Skarsgård is set to play the titular vampire character. Apparently, I did not oh. know that. Um. Is that news to you as well? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, that's per the Hollywood Reporter. So if I'm if if they're wrong, they're wrong. But that's what they say. Uh, Eggers Nosferatu will retell the gothic tale of obsession between a haunted young woman in 19th century Germany and the ancient Transylvanian vampire who stalks her, bringing untold horror with him. Um, we love the original Nosferatu, of course. We love an F.W. Murnau film. You can tell I'm a guy who took German cinema in college. <laughs> Great. I could talk about Dr. Mabuse all day. Let's fucking go. Um, the last remake's pretty good, too, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. The, 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 like, Werner? Like, the Werner? The Werner. Yeah, I've never seen yeah. it. Yep. Oh, man. You should definitely check that out. Werner Herzog's 1979 Nosferatu the Vampire. Great fucking movie. Uh, more casting news. Fetty Alvarez's Alien movie has a bunch of kids in it that I've never heard of. They're all like teenagers. I'm not going to say their names or anything. But plot details are kept under wraps. We don't know anything. But Fetty Alvarez is shooting a fucking Alien movie right now. And I can't believe that. And that's simultaneously happening. Noah Hawley, right, is doing a show at FX as well that is not connected to the Alien movie. So very confusing stuff going on. <laughs> there the exorcist just cast somebody new i just say that to say that's right baby david gordon green's the exorcist is shooting right now and will be out october 13th 
I can't believe it. It's really happening. Ellen Burstyn is reprising the role. We don't know what else will happen. If they're probably saving Linda Blair for the second one because this is supposed to be a trilogy, but uh, you know they're really bringing it back to the original. Uh, Hellboy has been cast. It's a guy I've never heard of. Jack Kesey, Jack Kesey. He's his credits here are The Strain and Deadpool uh, Two. I have no idea who this guy is, <laughs> but he he is going to be Hellboy. Um, all right, we're done. Oh no, one more Haunt. Two, Scott Beck, Brian Woods, the guys who did Quiet Place. They just did 65. They did a movie called Haunt in 2019. That's like a slasher movie. That's I'm going to go ahead and call it instant Halloween classic. Uh, it takes place on Halloween night. It's like a haunted horror house uh, type or like a Six Flags type of horror house situation Ooh. with like a slasher movie happening in it. It really rocks. And the news is they said on Reddit, this is not a confirmation that two is happening. But they can confirm that conversations for a haunt sequel are officially happening. Happy early Halloween. So it would seem Haunt 2 is going to happen. And I'll use this as an opportunity to plug that movie because I always love it. Uh, Love plugging it because it seems like an underseen one. Check out Haunt if you haven't seen it. 2019. Missing, which we covered on the show, is on digital now. I always like to plug when that happens so you can go back and listen to the episode if you haven't seen it yet. Check out Missing. Check out the Patreon for an uh, extra bonus episode. I will tell you what it is in the description. We don't know yet, but that will be a thing. And one more plug for me before we get into Scream. There's a movie out now on VOD. It's regular old VOD prices. It's 6 bucks. I think it's also on MGM+. Plus. If you happen to have that streaming service... It's a movie called Unseen. This is one of those Blumhouse streaming productions that used to be like, you know, Into the Dark at Hulu, which I'm not sure if those still happen. But they also do these ones that go to MGM and they used to go to Epics. I don't know if Epics is still around. But there's this new movie called Unseen. I wasn't going to watch it because it just, you know, I've I've been burned by a lot of these straight to video Blumhouses, but I made the time for it. I watched it. And you guys, you should totally pay six bucks to watch Unseen. Let me tell you the premise, Jesse. Have you heard of this movie? I've never not. I think you told me it was good. I think that's where I, the only place I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> the premise is um, a person who is like basically blind without her glasses, like classic Velma Jinky style, can't see without her glasses. <laughs> that's her condition that is Jinkies, right? Yeah. <laughs> She's got the Jinkies. Um, she basically is pursued by a killer and very quickly breaks her glasses and can't see. And is basically just trying to... It's a cat and mouse type of thriller where she's just trying to get away from this guy while she can't see. So she presses random buttons on her phone and calls a random person and has that person be like a surrogate who can like look for her and see for her. And they just try to survive like the night. That's the premise of cool. Unseen. And it is on VOD now. I just wanted to give it a nice little plug. It stars... Um, someone I've never heard of, Midori Francis, who's great, and Jolene Purdy, who hasn't been in anything in a long time, but you may recognize as Sharita from Donnie Darko. Mm. She is the second lead in this movie, and she's great. Uh, I thought this movie was a lot of fun. I just wanted to give it a plug. All fucking right. Jesse, start us off with some Scream 6 discourse. I don't even know how to start <laughs> where you want to begin. Start the discourse. Okay. Um, yeah, just like 
what's Scream 6 about? I guess the conversation will be structured as such. Spoiler Scream 6? What is this? <laughs> what is this? It will be spoiler free for like a little bit. 15, yes. 20 minutes probably. Yes. Maybe not that even that much. Because everything I want to talk about is probably a spoiler. But I do want to give a nice general spoiler free little review. So you can... Yes. Here's your prompt. Scream 6. I don't know if you guys hear about this uh, Scream movie. 1996. Little known, uh, it opened around the same time as Beavis and Butthead do America. I'm, so it would have been just, easy to miss. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. If you were like me, you were distracted that day by be- going to see Beavis and Butthead after school with your buddies. Uh, I'm just going to go through and talk about all the movies Screams opened opposite. Um, yeah, no, Scream 6 is the first time in a long time that we've since Scream 2, in fact, that a Scream sequel has followed up with almost troubling quickness after... Uh, its predecessor scream and scream 2 came out famously very close together screams scream was in it's one of those movies where scream was almost certainly in theaters for the entirety of the production of scream 2 uh because it was probably still in theaters to like a month or two before yeah, scream I 2 came out all started rolling on scream 2 like before like the test screenings were good enough that they started yeah, rolling yeah. on it yeah um so uh, scream and scream 2 came out just about a year apart scream 3 then at the time felt like it took forever because it was like two years and change because there were you know lots of stop start with the script and trying to get things right and they didn't end up having kevin williams in back and then like we uh, got the- Liv schreiber we can't fuck this up yeah yeah it's very, very delicate scream 4 followed 11 years later and did not do well enough to warrant the kind of semi-planned idea of like a re- kind of next generation trilogy uh and then there was another 11 years passed for Scream before Scream 5, which was just called Scream, came out last January. And it was well received enough by the uh, fans and the regular paying public and the uh, movie critics that it inspired a second, uh, another uh, Scream 6, uh, Scream VI, in, as the poster says. And it uh, com- comes out now, you know, 14 months after the original, this or uh, not the original, the previous movie. It picks up with those characters from Scream 5, who you might remember as being uh, Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, who are sisters who both survived the events of Scream 5. There will be spoilers for Scream 5, I guess. Yeah, this. And uh, they've moved to New York City and with the, the their pals who survived the first movie, uh, played by Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy-Brown. Uh, they've met a whole bunch of new people who can be suspects in an impending murder investigation. Uh, the legacy characters, this is sort of the big news, I guess, for Scream 6. The legacy characters are uh, not really in this one. Dewey famously died in the previous movie. Uh, Gail Weathers is on hand briefly, but not really a big part of the movie. Uh, Sydney and Sydney Prescott um, sends her love was, 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 was Poochie the dog. Yes. She was uh, uh, she went away to her home planet. They yes. took her to a farm upstate. <laughs> we don't know what happened to Sydney. They really they hand wave it away with uh, she deserved a happy ending. She took yes. Mark and the kids away to be safe. The, yes. And that's it. And the other, the other um, remaining legacy character besides Gail is uh, much anticipated by fans and probably met with question mark, question mark, question mark by a lot of more casual watches of these movies. Yeah. Uh, Kirby. You guys remember Kirby? Not yeah, the, uh, the amorphous pink, pink, pink guy. Yeah, the, yeah, who sucks yeah, stuff my, in. Yeah, yeah my, kid, my kid loves Kirby. She's so excited to see Kirby in the new Scream movie. Um, uh, it's played by, she's played by Hayden Panettiere, songbird of her generation. 
uh, erstwhile of heroes uh, and save the Nashville. teenager, save the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, the famous screenwriting book, Save the Teenager, Save the World. Uh, <laughs> she, um, she is. Uh, I don't think it's. I don't know. Is it a spoiler to talk about how she comes back into this? I'll just say Kirby's in this movie in a supporting role. Yeah, uh, she's from she's from Scream Four. People liked her. She was the like cool, uh, maybe kind of vaguely queer coded leather uh, jacket. Yes, uh, cool, cool, weird haircut uh, horror aficionado from Scream Four, who is kind of seems to get killed. But this movie sort of uh, retcons. Scream 5 and 6 rules onto Scream 4 and Scream 5 and 6 rules are it really doesn't matter how many times you're stabbed in the stomach oh, with a knife. Oh yeah. We'll talk <laughs> it about just, that. <laughs> it just is not something that is likely to kill somebody. Uh, like st- it could be a comical number of times. Like you could be stabbed 70 times in in what <laughs> that scene that it seems like he gets stabbed 70 times in like 30 seconds. Yes. And uh and- We'll talk You're about okay. it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you can see the uh, close-up of a knife twisting in someone's gut, and that doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily die. Uh, anyway, they're in New York. Um, uh, it's very disorienting. Because by way they're, of Vancouver, by way of, is it? I think Mo- Montreal, I think, which is Canada. a much fancier <laughs> Canadian city than we usually get us New Yorkers. I believe Alex alluded to on Twitter, New Yorkers being... Uh, extremely insufferable about the in New York oh, inaccuracies course. in this movie. <laughs> of course. Well, <laughs> when the opening true. scene involves an alleyway, it's it's basically <laughs> asking you to be to like up opine on it. You know. Yeah, that know. alleyway would be full of so many fucking boutiques charging Alex so much money. Alex probably didn't bat an eye because alleyways are a very Chicago thing. Oh yeah, like <laughs> we, got, we got tons of them here. Yeah. <laughs> I should really I I should really think about moving to Chicago because that's like that could be a place where I live in my old age is in the alleyway. Um <laughs> it's not I can't afford here much longer. Uh there I will say this is sort of off top but on the on the subject of is how to scream six fair as a New York movie. Uh I will say uh, they accurately portray the agonizing horror of being on the one train at 96th Street and waiting to get to like 14th Street. It does take a long time, even if you're not being stalked by Ghostface in the subway. It's it's a pain. So I, I was like, this is that is very New York. The rest of it is, as I said to Brett after the screening, the mostly they do New York by saying uh, there's night and sirens. Those are the things that we know from New York. <laughs> Uh, which is true if you've heard my you know you hear the podcast you hear outside my window there's sirens all the time and sometimes we record at night so I guess that's fairly accurate so the the idea is that uh, Jenna Ortega's character Tara is going to college in New York trying to get away from the trauma she suffered in the previous film her older sister uh, played by Moza Barrera is there to kind of help her out and live with her and you know stick together but also trying to watch over her and that's jenna ortega's character is chafing a bit at her overprotective older sister kind of a story i think we've seen in sequels and in horror movies before um and uh what's her name uh sam melissa barrera's character is also seeing a therapist because she feels like there's a kind of darkness inside her because you may remember from scream five she is the daughter of of Billy Loomis. So there is another legacy character who's floating around this movie because yeah, yeah that fucking thing is back. The I like I, you know what? I like Billy Lo- ghost Billy Loomis or vision it's not ghost it's like it's uh in Sam's it's like head the Billy age Loomis. Skeet Ulrich. Like he comes I back love it. they make him look young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like I think because in the interim since he appeared in Scream uh I 
belatedly grew to like him because of Riverdale of all things, because he really seems like he has a lot of gravitas when he's up against everyone on Riverdale. Um, and he's like, he's like a, you know, he's like a seasoned dad on Riverdale. So now when he's like this creepy dad trying to guide Sam from beyond the grave, really like in her head, I kind of, I like that kind of weird psychological angle. And I will, that's a roundabout way of saying something that's surprisingly cool. I think about this new screen movie uh, is that I, dug these characters and was kind of into the stuff that didn't have that much to do with the kind of usual scream shtick of commenting on horror movie tropes. I still love that stuff and, you know, treasure dumb references to stuff and treasure the subway scene where you see 50 different movie horror costumes on the yeah, subway the us, and references. The us costumes were nice. The us the costumes. Nice fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I believe there's even like I think in the I thought in the trailer I saw someone coming down the subway steps dressed as Samara Weaving's character from Ready, Ready or, not. or Not. Yeah, I, I didn't catch there. it in the actual movie. I'm pretty sure someone though on the subway is dressed as the character from the opening scene of Scream of Scream Six rather uh, on the subway. I think I mean, maybe I missed it, but I think someone's or maybe I misinterpreted it, but I think someone's wearing a yellow dress. Uh, oh, interesting. Supposed, with like a slit throat, supposed to be this <laughs> recent crime victim. I, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure I spotted that. That so would I love be all that some stuff. social commentary, I believe. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ask me about it follows. Ask me about Scream 6. Um, <laughs> but uh, I found myself really enjoying some of the more, you know, new non-legacy elements mainly uh sam and tara's characters and as much as like i'm not that interested in seeing an, uh, like another mainstream horror movie trying to rip off an indie movie you know, an indie horror movie and talk about how they're really about trauma i did kind of enjoy the how do we get out of this kind of how do we break this cycle angle that they have on the on the legacy characters and also the legacy characters are just fun and like enjoyable to be around uh Jasmine Savoy Brown and, and Mason Gooding included. Um, but it does kind of leave a weird question where you're kind of left going. So what is this one in terms of like horror movie stuff? Ghostface is in New York. He seems a little more Terminator like than, than usual. And what Jasmine Savoy, Mindy, Jasmine Savoy Brown's character arrives at is, Oh, now we're in, a, we're not just in a requel. We're in a franchise, which to me is like a dubious. I think Alex, you said this in your review and you're spot on like the rules for a franchise that they half-assedly, they're like the worst r- scream rules since Randy laid out the rules of a trilogy where he like, is like return of the Jedi Godfather part three. <laughs> dot 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 because <laughs> uh, yeah, he can't think, yeah it's and and there are, she just lays out rules that are basically the sequel rules from scream 2 the kills are bigger it's like yeah that's every fucking horror well, movie. look can i say this though can i say this though yeah um i don't think beyond the first film i'm not sure any of these movies are really all that savvy about that aspect about what they're satirizing I, I feel like the first film is is pretty smart about the rules of horror movies. And then everyone since has felt a little bit like they're sort of, um, they know that they have to continue this element of sort of genre commentary. But I mean, as you said, I mean, trilogies don't have rules in the same way that horror movies have rules. And um, I, I, the fourth one, for example, I think has no idea what it's trying to say. It's either <laughs> fourth one is either we're making fun of remakes, how there's nothing new or, new rules, new, new century, new rules. Like you have, you kind of have to pick a lane on that one. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the new one, I mean, it's sort of, there's, there's a kind of fish in a barrel quality about, about scream five, um, where it's just like, 
well, yes, okay, so the the, the, the legacy sequels are in the air. Um, so I think maybe that's why I, I it wasn't such a deal breaker for me that this new one doesn't, I don't think, have, have anything particularly trenchant to say about about genre movies, about movies at all, really. Because these movies, especially this one, this one really takes it to this territory. They are no longer about the horror genre. The Scream franchise itself is so entrenched in that space that these movies are now just about the Scream movies. Yeah. And that's what this one is really about. And, you know, there's positives and negatives to that, right? Like, what do you, how do you respond to that, Alex? Uh, I mean, I think that's another element that actually has kind of been going on for quite some time in the Scream series. I remember watching the third one when it came out, being very disappointed by the third one and thinking that it's it had no real frame of reference about other movies. It already was sort of like it was clear that this was a movie that was familiar with the other Scream movies. But any sort of right. any sort of real familiarity with other movies was that there was no real sign of that in the film. Um, so I think that kind of Ouroboros quality that that you get with these films is something that's been going on for a while. You're right, though, that this one is the one where it's really like there might as well not be other movies. It really is just about it's the the architecture of this series and right. Um, like I you think, said, franchises don't have rules, but I'm like, well, this one does, right? And right. like, that's what they're about now. And like, and Jesse was, what Jesse was just saying about like, you know, I enjoyed the stuff that you wouldn't think is the stuff that you'd want out of a screen movie. And like, that's another thing I want to point out, which is like, to me, the things that make this one better than five is exactly that. That it's like, can't we just have an effective fucking slasher movie? Like, isn't it okay that we just have this theatrical event that's a fun slasher movie and doesn't have all that much to say, but like is a fun thing for fans and probably new people alike? Like, I think that's like a conversation I keep having with myself. Like, what do I want from these movies? Because I rewatched Scream 5, which we'll keep calling it Scream 5, because if you watch the movie, you'll understand that calling it Scream is like a joke, <laughs> is like just another layer of meta commentary on what the movie is doing. It is very much Scream 5, but they're playing on that with the title. Um, but I rewatched it, and I was, like, so hot on it when it came out. Like, I uh, I was, I couldn't believe how great it was. I had a great time opening night. I saw it twice. And then I rewatched it before 6, and something felt a little off to me about it. And I, I think, like, for the first time, I was like, ah, you can feel that like this wasn't written by Kevin Williamson and it wasn't directed by Craven, which like I didn't notice when I was so excited watching it at home or in the theater. Like it just played differently at home. And then I, you know, I'm trying to, is this me trying to justify the whole thing by being like, isn't that okay? Like can't, can't movies be like one and done in theaters and then you watch them at home. You're like, yeah, that does, that wasn't as fun. Um, and like, I think yeah, I'm kind of coming to terms with that as an idea of like, I'm a horror guy, but like maybe Scream, I thought it was my franchise and maybe it was once my franchise. I love the early ones and I still like it quite a bit. I think they're so fun, but rewatching five made me think that I'll be talking, I'm going to talk about six, how I talk about it today, but I feel like in a year, am I going to say the same thing or am I going to be like, <laughs> yeah, it was a fun night at the theater, but it's pretty dumb. It doesn't hold up. Like, well, I, yeah, I don't know. honestly, I've all first one accepted. And I always, I like the first one a lot. I caught up with it. Obviously not like everyone else. If you see the $6 million opening weekend, uh, opposite Beavis and Budded, I caught up with it a few weeks after that and liked it a lot. And it was very, it was much more clever than you, you know, thought it would be from the trailer and, and very 
smart stuff. But since then, that's really always been my relationship with these movies is that they are really fun audience movies. Uh, I remember seeing Scream 2 opening night with like a packed house and having a blast with it. And well, pretty much Scream 2 opening scene like is like the most fun thing imaginable. I love that. Scene. Yeah, yeah. And even the other stuff in that movie, I love the, you know, the love the Randy stuff, even though it was like a bummer when he gets killed in that movie. Like, that movie he, he has, has a... the, the cop car set piece, which is like yeah. one of the best in the franchise. I yeah. love Scream 2. Yeah, I like I like Scream Two, and you know what? I I had the same. I went to see Scream Three on opening night with an audience, and like it was much more of a kind of comedy experience probably than a horror experience. But I had a great time with that too. I remember just like I didn't really think, oh, I'm going to buy this DVD or anything, but I was like, oh, that was fun. I had a blast. You know, Scream Four is the only one where I saw it, and I don't know if it's because I didn't see it with a big crowd. I saw it with like an afternoon crowd or something, but I saw it with a bunch of friends, so I don't think that was it. It just like kind of fell a little flat until the last, a pretty killer like last half hour. But until that, it just kind of felt like that's the one that even though Craven did it, and I forget if Williamson wrote it himself, but I think he did, right? He did, or at least had a hand in it. Uh, that one was the one that felt weirdly, you know, er- 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 you know, kind of uh, fake. <laughs> weirdly, I mean, like it just doesn't look the same as the other There's ones. There's something like, weird about that movie's look. Like, yeah, it's sh- like it's not like it's shot badly. Like the cinematography is bad. It's like. A, is it a color grading issue? I don't know what it is. It's like it over, it's overlaid in a weird way. Yeah. It does. It doesn't have the it's same. It's got like kind a of... soft glow to it. It's, yeah. it's weird. It's weird. It's like very much of its time. And then the fifth one again kind of went back around to like last year's fifth one. It was at a press screening, but you know people are pretty usually pretty. I feel like the the upside of it being you know ostensibly a, a geeky movie geek in joke franchise is that even if you go to the press screen, you get crowds that are like pretty into it and, and having a good time. Uh, so I had a good time at the fifth one too, and I did revisit it um, right before I watched six, and I didn't feel like uh, uh, oh my uh, wait what was that you were gone for like a second but you're back oh okay sorry all right um yeah I did I rewatched five right before uh I watched six and they're not frankly movies I need to rewatch very often and I do think you're right you're right like there's it is okay for these things to be like a one time go out and see it on a Saturday night and have some fun type of arrangement. Like I think sometimes we as a culture, and this is goes beyond horror stuff, place way too much emphasis on rewatching movies. Why? Why rewatch everything? I don't, I'm not like Pauline Kale saying I'll watch it once and never again, but I admire that she did that because there's I think so it many makes movies. sense in a lot of ways. There's so many movies. And there were so like, many then, and she's been de- like, how many more are there now? There's so many. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, you know, I'm fine with a movie that I just watch for the kind of, you know, the enjoyment of it. The weird thing about Scream 6 to me is that, and I think this is probably true of 5 to some extent too, or really probably, you know, maybe all of them since the second one, is that I don't really find it very scary. Like, even as I like, oh, well, this is a fun and pretentious slasher movie. I I really think this one almost plays more like an action movie. You know, it's got chases and suspenseful sequences, but it's not like, it doesn't really, it's not going to give you nightmares. Like, it's not going to... No give you shivers even it's, i agree it's just like it's like a stalker thriller it's and, and as well as a pretty janky but um, but amusingly so murder mystery like the rest of them are <laughs> i'm glad alex you said that you like scream 2 because that unlocks for me why you like scream 6 yeah because it's scream 2 2 it is it very much is no i mean you're uh you're right on the money with that and i mean the movie and as with anything in scream the characters are, are one step ahead of us in in any critique you could lob at screen, you could lob at the screen movies. The the characters are are there to do it for you. 
you know? Um, yeah. And uh, you have the characters acknowledging the similarities with Scream 2. I, for me, though, one of the key distinctions and one of the reasons I think I uh, liked this one quite a lot more than the last one is that uh, they're a little, I think they're a little bit more organic in Scream 6. I think it's uh, it's a little bit less. The movie is not constantly winking at you about the fact that um, it's referencing something from Scream 2, you know? Um, right. The, the qualities that we liked about Scream 2 are in it without the movie always having a character there to say, don't you remember this is something that was in Scream 2? Yeah. Yeah. Jasmine Savoy Brown in her at one of her big speeches, there's like two, like the rules and then probably a second follow-up one in one of those. She mentions it, but then it's it. Like she she says like, it's probably going to be like stab two or whatever. And then like, it moves on. Um, you're totally right. Um, but like my capsule review of this movie, just to move this along and eventually get to spoilers. This movie is so much fun. Truly. Like uh, I had a blast in the movie theater, very much of a piece with the last one though. So my like quick take on it is if you didn't, if you liked five, you will like this one as much, if not more. And if you didn't, this one probably won't convince you. But Alex is a sign that it it could be like, uh, did you like hate five or were you just like, it's not quite good. And this one is is there. I was pretty indifferent to five uh, on a whole. Um, I just sort of felt like it was giving me the... Uh, it was kind of just like presenting the idea of a screen movie to me over and over again. <laughs> um, and I think, I, I, I think one of the distinctions for me, another distinction for me, I guess it's, I, I guess I should say is that um, for me, the, the pleasure of these movies and maybe especially the pleasure of the second one is the set pieces. And yes, I don't know if there's a lot in scream five that qualifies as, um, as an exciting set piece. Uh, whereas there, I think this there one isn't. has several, there, there really isn't right. I'm thinking about it now. I mean, no, because the best one is the one that's like a joke. It's the one that's the suspense gag. That is, you keep thinking he's going to get killed, but yes. it's just like the fridge In is the open for a while and then yeah. he closes it. Yeah. It's like that gag, which I think is great and played so fucking well in the theater. Both times I saw it that I was like, so delighted with that scene. And then it does end with a kill, I think. And it's good, but that's not a set piece. <laughs> And you can no, tell no. in this one that they're building the film around sequences that they want to do. I mean, and we can we can go back and forth, I guess, and whether or not those are effective or if they're scary or not. But you can see the movie constantly saying, "What's something we can do with this environment?" And as much as people um, people from New York might say that, that this isn't a New York movie or this doesn't capture New York, it very clearly wasn't shot there. There's nothing in it that really suggests the geography or the vibe of New York. I do think that the filmmakers went out of their way to think about the differences between a big city and a place like Woodsboro and how can yeah. they exploit that? It's about tight spaces. It's about crowds. It's about um, the danger that you might find in a city as opposed to uh, a big suburban area like Woodsboro. And I think it's yeah. also, maybe I'm giving it too much credit. Tell me if I'm wrong, but like, this is my experience as someone who takes that same subway, but the actual real one that's in New York city. <laughs> I'm walking here. Um, my experience, you know, I was on a subway recently, which has never happened before in my nearly a decade here. Someone pulled the brakes on the subway oh. while we were like underground in the water part. where like, you can't like, there's just, you're just stuck there and there's no way out. You can't open the door and crawl out as someone who doesn't think they're claustrophobic. And then that happens. And I'm like, Oh, I need to get the fuck out of here. But anyway, in that moment, my mind wasn't even on that. My mind is 
I'm about to get mass shooted right now. Like yeah. I truly have that fear. I was at, I've been at movie theater screenings where someone plops on a backpack next to me and like leaves, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? I was just like, I I just think this movie is maybe even slyly capitalizing on that fear that we all have about being in public spaces, confined public spaces now. Like truly, that subway car scene with Ghostface is like a top three scream franchise scene. Agreed. Yeah, it is that is that is very good. That, fucking, that is genuinely scary. That gun in the film. It's not. It's, it's not some wild stretch. <laughs> I mean, he uses a, a gun in the film. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He. I was thinking of <laughs> weirdly of Terrifier. Is it Terrifier where he did like yeah, Martha it's Terrifier one, which yeah, I yeah. did the whole like Carol Clover rules or uh, you know the, the slasher rule is the slasher will kill you with anything but a gun. So then in Terrifier, he fucking trots out a gun and kills her. And it's totally, <laughs> wow, subversion. So I, uh, yeah, you're right. I forgot about the gun kill. How can I forget? Ghostface kills him with a gun. It's kind of crazy. It does feel crazy when that happens. I mean, that's a maniac um, echo too, right? Yes. Am I crazy? 100%. I mean, you know, scuzzy New York slasher, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. I got that vibe. So yes, the subway sequence so fucking good. The bodega scene, also quite good. Um, similarly, like the way they shoot it, it's very tense, and like the way they knock over the shelf is on them is great. It's a great scene. Um, the and we haven't even mentioned the cold open, which we should yeah, save wow. for the spoiler section in a, just a second, because the cold open, uh, combined with uh, Halloween ends, right? Like all this, the second <laughs> legacy movie to do a complete subversion of a cold open which immediately puts me in like a great mood right oh yeah no i'm on its side immediately i agree with you yeah (laughs) yeah that happened and i'm like oh this is on another level like this is just like i don't know it seems it seems like i want to like chide myself for like giving it the credit for doing that because it seems like so obvious just subvert it but like it's hard to do that it's like these movies are built they're so specific as i keep saying these movies are about themselves. They're their own franchise now. They have rules. And they're so rigid that for the movie to open by completely upending what you know, not even expect, like what you know is going to happen, it was genuinely thrilling. And I understand the take that some people are going to have from this movie, right? Is that it's all downhill from there. And like, yeah, I don't I mean, think it I, I, quite lives can... up to that, like on like an idea level. I don't think it has anything else that's that interesting, but like as a pure fucking slasher movie with as doubt is saying great set pieces with something that five didn't have. Like, I think this movie fucking like it delivers in everything that I wanted from it. I do think it's better than five, even if five has the better killer reveal. Like this one lacks that manic fucking energy, right? That mm-hmm. like that, ha- that you get in the final act, the welcome to act three moment in, in Scream 5 that all that is basically echoing, in my mind, obviously, the first one, yeah. where Bill yeah. and Stu are just fucking deranged, <laughs> just completely <laughs> yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah, there's and, nothing yeah. as good in this one as as her screaming, I was radicalized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I think the, what, five definitely, I think, I, I agree, Alex, a lot of it is kind of feel like you're just sort of like, you know, it's it's almost like it's scream. What else do you want? We're, it, right. We've been we've been we've been out for eleven years, so we're back, and we're just going to tell you what kind of movie you're watching. That with that classic scream, you know, uh, you know, snotting like you know, knowing wink, and uh, that's a little bit is that I, that is true of, of five. But I do think the 
you know, they really, I mean, it was, it was they kind of lucked into because they weren't, you know, they got to skip 11 years worth of cultural stuff. And this other one, this new one's at a real disadvantage in that sense mm-hmm. from just rolling right into it. But the fifth one, I think, did have a really great satirical, vi- like, vein of, you know, talking about toxic yes. fandom. Well, I mean, if you're, if had- you're super online, like, you, that stuff is not even that new to you. But just to hear a movie, like, riff a bit on ryan johnson and the last jedi and maybe that's just because i that's like something i find fascinating and and horrible at the same time i was just like oh wow this is really getting into it like with, I, with in a way that i don't think you know three or four did as much with the culture quote unquote and this one doesn't much with the the culture quote unquote it doesn't make the movie necessarily better as a whole but it does it does have that little bit of like i feel like that five doesn't have isn't that sharp as like a horror movie but it's pretty sharp as a like you know, needling of certain uh, corners of the internet in a way that I found kind of fun. But, you know, maybe that's just because I sometimes I will, read the comments. That's my I, I, agree, I agree with you, but, like, I also want to devil's advocate you because when I rewatched it, part of me was like, is the reason this isn't holding up the same way that the sequels do? I want to say now, blanket, I'm going to ignore all the slander from Alex and Jesse on Scream 2, 3, and 4, which I love all of. I like 3 a lot. and 4 is the only one I'm a little cold towards. Um, 2, 2, I completely... Like. <laughs> okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Alex um, loves to. On rewatch, I was wondering is the reason this isn't holding up because of how hyper specific to that moment that it feels? Like I'm an, I'm like a year removed. I guess it, it's only been a year, so it, it seems silly to say, but that is a thought that I had. I'm like, is this not hitting for me the same way because it's such a specific m- cultural moment? Where like scream the screams prior, the like in my mind they're making grander statements. But I guess you could say the Ryan Johnson thing is indicative of a cultural moment. And I'm being silly by saying it's like specifically saying this rigid thing, where it's like that rigid thing means a larger thing. So maybe well, yeah, I, the, I think I think the the you know the good part of Scream Four is again the it kind of it. I don't think sick the movie is the worked. new sane. Yeah, well, the, the exactly the uh, you know Emma Roberts monologuing at the end about social media fame and stuff they, that brings it together pretty well. Even though I don't think the or the rest of the movie is as kind of spirited or clever or scary as as the earlier ones or the ones that have come after, but they do a good job of like okay, saying okay, this is our thesis, even if it's kind of like the the who done it thing kind of makes them always bluntly state a thesis at the end, and I do think that's that that the bluntly stated thesis even even stating it bluntly in scream six isn't really enough to get to get over what you know to get across what kind of thesis exactly they have which is fine because i think the movie is stronger before that point that probably than than five and certainly more than four for me like it it's kind of the fundamentals of this one are a little stronger just as entertainment and then i don't know that it really delivers that you know last act scream fun the way that a lot of these do i guess it's not that far off from scream 2 which has like which they're riffing out a little bit and and has a fun final act as well um but i don't know should we get into do we get into spoilers now or are we yeah uh, we definitely can i'm trying to think if there's anything i want to say before we do that i actually think this thing being not as um as smart as smart or specific about what it's trying to satirize is a little bit liberating because in the last one, I did sort of feel like the movie was leaning on having so much cultural stuff to get into. You know, it's the the opening sequence is like, we're going to talk about elevated horror and then it's about toxic fandom at a certain point. It's about requels. And to me, that sometimes felt like a substitution for the movie giving us anything else. You know, it's just, Hey, 
some things have happened in the interim that we can <laughs> we can mention in this movie, you know? And this one, without having that as a crutch, I think has to actually do some other things and has to sort of fill fill its air with other things. And uh, I was surprised at being kind of maybe very minorly, but a little finding it a little affecting the way that this was trying to grapple with how these kids felt after the events of the first one, getting, getting into them dealing with the trauma of that event. Um, those, those moments didn't feel completely like filler to me. They felt like the movie was actually kind of genuinely interested in these kids and how they're dealing with it. And that caught me by surprise a little bit because the last one is so glib about these kids, (laughs) you know, and the fourth one is just like, the fourth one is, is the most glib, I think where the kids are just like, their well, friends have been killed earlier in the day and they're just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's have a stab marathon, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think this is the first screen movie in a while. And I, I like all the, I mean, I think this, that it's the first screen movie in a while where you kind of feel like it's kind of organically giving you some characters you'd like to keep following in this yes. kind of, yes. you know, clearly never ending series. The fifth, the fifth movie is the one that actually gave you these characters to be fair. Like, I think I liked all these characters in the fifth movie and, and I did, did a nice job establishing them, but the fifth movie also has to contend with that, like legacy sequel thing of like, well, this is kind of a sequel to this other movie and it's kind of a reboot with new characters. And I remember, in fact, <laughs> not to let, I'm going to sound like bitter here, Brad, I feel like you and Lewis were like yelling at me for finding the, I, f- I remember talking about how like the traffic direction of the fifth one early on, I found a little bit whiplash inducing. It's not as much as bad as Alex talks about with Scream 4, where people just seem completely cavalier about a series of murders taking place. But yeah. you are, they do very quickly introduce like, okay, Here's Jenna Ortega, uh, this this new character who you think is going to get killed off, but doesn't, which is a cool twist on the formula. But then they're like, okay, so you know her? Now, the actual main character is her sister, who is Billy Loomis's daughter. But you're also going to stick with Jenna Ortega, and the other kids in the movies aren't... Uh, Sam's friends, they're Tara's friends. You know, it's like a little, and then and then you also bring in three major characters, four major characters yeah. from previous movies, and it just becomes a lot of like, wait, whose whose son is who, and who like it's just you're a helping lot of, me like, understand why six is so much more enjoyable because yeah, like, yeah, five six has is the like table set. Yeah, it, as as they say in the kind of a you know maybe a little Marvel movie like low tier Marvel movie writing, but kind of but still I found it kind of cute. They have a core four, as they Dude, say. Dude, the core four. This is what I was like. I, Dowd was getting me to talk about this, but like you both are getting at something that is such a big deal and why the movie works. And this is how we can transition to spoilers. These are characters you want to hang out with i am i'm almost i don't know why i feel embarrassed to say how much i like (laughs) these characters like i genuinely love the core four i do want to see more of their adventures here come the spoilers spoiler alert spoilers are about to happen so i'm not even mad at scream six for all the reasons i see a lot of other people being mad at it and it's kind of it's rightfully so but because i love the characters so much i don't care that the movie completely fucking cheats <laughs> and lets these people live despite yeah, t- basically killing them on screen. Yeah. No, no one who you really care about in this movie. Do I have that right? Does anyone you care about in this movie get killed? Nope. No. And, and I don't think that, 
I, you know, I have, I'm of two minds about that. Like, Me I too. It makes it feel disposable in a way, right? It, but then right. there's another side. But, you, you, yeah. but I, yeah, I, I, something I really liked about the first three is that I was like, you know what? I'm not thirsting for like the shit gets real movie where one of them gets killed. They do that with Randy and it works well enough, but it's kind of a, the air kind of goes out of it a little bit because you're like, yeah, I'm it's cool to be like, Randy whoa. You lo- what's that? I'm bummed when Randy gets killed. I mean, yeah, I, I exactly. Like, don't want to see him die. You know, right, yeah. right. And just like from a purely mechanical thing, you're like, oh, so now we don't get to have more scene, more of like funny scenes with Randy. Like, what are you doing yeah. to me, movie? Like, like I'm not going to know the rules anymore. Yeah, so yeah. Who's going to have like the third one drags out retcons and drags out a video of him just to get him? Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, and I, yeah, uh, and I like the theorem, but you can feel the strain of like, okay, I think one of the reasons that one tips more towards comedy is they're like, okay, Jamie Candy's not in this one safe for cameo, so let's make the other stuff a little let's more like Jay and Silent Bob in here. Yeah, yeah, we need to, <laughs> they need to fill the void. No, but I mean, like, I think Parker Posey is genuinely hilarious in that movie, but I feel oh, like the is. reason there, there, the reason so many like there's so many like comedy beats in that is because they're like, well, Randy's not here. And he's like a reliable way to like bring the kind of self-aware stuff and still have, you know, still have plenty of room for more serious horror stuff. And so I, I was never like, oh, I hope they kill. They, they show they're serious by killing more characters. Even Dewey in the fifth one, I was like, you know, that was oh, a good scene. But it's, like, it's, it's sad gutting. and I don't like I don't it. I want to say yeah. gutting because of the way he dies, but it is <laughs> gutting to watch him yeah. die. It like yeah. means something. So that's what's going on here. Like the... the there's part of me that's like it's ridiculous to the degree to which this movie kills people and then unkills them but would I rather have these characters that I like that I feel like are essential be dead and that's clearly a conversation that was had between Paramount executives and the producers (laughs) I don't know I don't know who made the call but it feel a couple of them feel like oh they were supposed to be dead and now they are like third act rewrite they are not dead just yeah. so they can get into the next one. It kind of feel um, like they. Sh- it feels like they shot it for the option of keeping someone yes, dead, and they yes. and what they landed on was nobody. Nobody <laughs> stays dead. Yeah, and like the issue, the big like again, this is a criticism that I've seen, and I can't, I can't help but dis- agree with. Kind of like the kills in this movie, they make a point to be so fucking nasty and violent, and I would say, I would argue, mean. There's a couple kills in this movie, like. Another amazing set piece we haven't even discussed. The ladder scene. Yeah. The ladder scene is maybe the most actually terrifying scene in these movies to me. Like, I I'm, I don't like heights. That scene, I think, was done in the movie called Nerve. Yes, several years it was in Nerve. I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what Morris and I were talking about as soon as the movie is over. Oh, yeah. I was I like, mean, they ripped off Nerve. I'm not mad that they ripped off a movie that probably nobody saw, but I quite yeah. liked. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good, good But picture. that scene, uh, she, you know, she falls off the ladder. And then, like... Did they need the shot of her hitting her face on the dumpster and then a close-up of her face after? No, it's like, no. it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I confronted this in Cocaine Bear, which was just so mean, vicious, and horrible. I'm like, is it, am I getting old and soft <laughs> and I don't want to see these horrific violence, even though I love horror movies and have a whole podcast about it? Is this going to be a problem for me? Or is like, is it weird for a movie to have like, like even this movie, it felt a little off to, it's like, why is this relishing in the, the meat, not just like the gore, but like, it just felt mean. Am I wrong? I don't know. Maybe that's a <laughs> reference to late slasher movies, which um, in their desperation sometimes get more extreme, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for that uh, explanation because 
it's, um, it's funny that this yeah. one well it's funny that this one does that with some of the kills and then also is like the squishiest in the non-glorious sense right. it's like the squishiest da- squishiest sweetest I mean. damn thing in the world like that's what i was getting movie... at the disconnect between how fucking vicious and violent the kills <laughs> are portrayed as and then the characters being like a-okay after yeah yeah, yeah. Maritza said to me because she came saw it with us. She was we were talking about Kirby. We were talking about how many people lived in general. Again, fine. And I I think it sucks to bring back a character like Kirby who survived the last one, uh, which itself is kind of a recon, and then just kill her. That's like that's boring. But Maritza was like, she fully had her throat slashed, didn't she? In this yeah. movie, <laughs> like maybe she didn't actually, maybe didn't actually go in far enough. But I was like, it's not even just like oh, she got yeah. stabbed a couple times in the arm. She was like slashed like a movie the movies make you think several people are dead and then undoes it it's like it's just like clear that that's what happens um and like i think when jasmine savoy brown runs in and and like does the commentary on that stuff she goes oh a twist on a twist like that's how they explain (laughs) it away they they get really bold what'd you say i said not a great band-aid on um, yeah <laughs> no especially because she's rushing in they're well, when really she rushes hoping. in like was it these two and they're like there was a third one and she's like ah fuck i didn't know the I, third love, one. I do love yeah. that she like it, her all she really cares about is correctly guessing it and she's always wrong is very funny yeah. uh but yeah. it is insane that you see how much she was stabbed like okay fine she got to the hospital and survived but you see, but then they're like, "Oh, we couldn't keep her in the hospital. She just had to be here." <laughs> I was like, that made me really. She, so she like runs over to meet them at the ambulance, and suddenly yeah. she's like, "Ambul," she's ambulatory herself. She's hopping around with like you know little little band aid well, on her. That's on her tummy. funny. Uh, that's another commentary thing. I feel like remember in Halloween, is it kills? I feel like yes, Jamie yes. Jamie Lee. She kept saying, "I hate these horror movies where like these people are horribly injured in hospital beds, and then they have to do something, so they get up and do it." And yeah. then that movie showed the realistic part of that and yeah, how she could not do that. I know Alex this, doesn't like that movie, but I, I, you have to appreciate the, I like, how, how it observes the, like, I'm just going to jab myself with painkillers and get on with it. And then she's in, like, agonizing pain for the rest of the movie. It can, a, can really a move. nice touch, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like this is just an example of that in the wild, right? Like, actually yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, Alex. Did you feel like you like you were not that into these characters from the previous movie? Did you feel like after this one, like, oh, I want to watch these in more movies, or just like, well, they did a good enough job that I'm okay with them in this? <laughs> I, you like, gotta like the twins, right? I do like the twins, especially Mindy. I think that um, the series great. tried in previous entries to sort of give you. I mean, Kirby is sort of the new Randy in the fourth one, but I feel like yeah. Mindy they actually do a pretty good job of. Yeah, reviving. They have that like character, Randy off scene, basically. Yeah, 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 totally. Yep. Um, So uh, yeah, I mean, I like them. Um, I would, I would gladly watch another movie with them. I guess, even though I do think that um, at a certain point, maybe we should let this thing rest. But that (laughs) well, that's 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 a good place to to go to. I mean, this movie, its biggest commentary on the genre. Again, it's just about itself and franchises always needing to exist and um that's a good question like do these movies need to keep existing and if they do do they need to keep having stuff to say like this movie as we keep saying kind of struggles to say something about the genre because you know the last one came out a year ago like what has happened in a year in the genre that they could have commented on like there's nothing i understand that so they went inward 
They're now entirely about themselves. There's a thread. There's a thread in this movie that I thought they were going to actually go further on that I probably would have enjoyed. And again, I don't mean to. As I say on this show all the time, I don't mean to backseat screenwrite, but I think it's in the movie already. Um, twice I wrote it down because it happened twice in like the first thirty or forty minutes. Uh, someone, someone, some character at some point says, "Who cares about movies?" And then oh, Ghostface a little. Ghost, yeah, Ghostface. And then the well, kills, Ghost, yeah. Ghostface says. Who gives a fuck about movies? And then someone else says less, you know, more softly, oh, who cares about movies? Uh, and then Gail Weathers even says, like, uh, and then says something to the effect of, uh, you know, they talk about her, her selling the rights to her book. She couldn't sell the movie rights. She was like, ah, they just, they're all about true crime, you know, miniseries now. Mm-hmm. It kind of it bummed out that she couldn't sell the it's movie rights again. It's all about strings of miniseries now. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, strings of interconnected miniseries and i so i i really thought this movie was going towards the kind of death of cinema probably this is just my <laughs> well i mean it takes place in a fucking theater in the finale like yeah it's well, getting like, at yeah. and there's like rows of memorabilia you know there's like they, like the the idea and maybe since we're into spoilers we can talk about like they have like the collection that richie i believe his name is from the fifth movie played by jack quaid had like amassed a collection of stab and real life and real life stab so which is to say scream memorabilia from the previous installments like the knife touch. used in this crime the, the, yes though oh the and like we talked about the ghost face mask conceit of the whole movie where like the killers are using the old ghost face mask from different eras yeah and they're counting down to something like it's yeah, pretty it's yeah. all pretty fun stuff and then it makes it literal with like they say look at these easter eggs or whatever <laughs> yeah and it's and it's sort of about like the you know what they're trying to wind up to is sort of about like you know this again it's like touching back on some of the fandom stuff and it's like there's some stuff about you know legacies both like cinematic and like of of like mental illness or you know because you have like uh you know uh, what's her name sam is like kind of grappling with like am i actually you're kind of destined to be sort of a killer or someone who's sort of off or or i'm always you know am i always going to be bringing death wherever i go uh and that's sort of interesting but like what it kind of moves away from is the kind of first half of it i feel like it's going oh you know, movies don't really matter to people anymore. That's why we're not talking about like the rules of this. I mean, like they, what they, you know, sort of imply early on is this ghost face is like, not that interested in like uh, ritualistically recreating movie stuff. They're using stuff from real life. Uh, like the masks from which are in this movie's reality are real life. And also not really following, you know, he picks up a shotgun. He like, he seems kind of more, as I said before, he seems more Terminator-esque. He's more like, he's like, you know, one of my favorite things in the other screen movies is always like watching Ghostface get nailed. It's always, just, it's always just like a regular person under the mask and cloak. There's always a time where like Ghostface gets like nailed in the nuts or like gets owned really bad. Yeah, like a, you lamp, know. a lamp to his head or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's always funny to see the face is just like the, that mask making, you know, making that same face like, was uh. getting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always love that and this one it doesn't really happen that much this ghost faced is like a more kind of it's he, he seems faster he's i mean he it's always of course more than one seems more brutal and the, the stab wounds are like bah, 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 instead of like the one slash um and i thought it was kind of getting at this sort of post movies you know kids don't really care about movies they care about memes or like bits and pieces or like or references more than the actual movies and i think you could make something really interesting about that and this movie sort of backs off of that i mean beyond the fact that like i guess you know the uh, form follows function or something like that where the movie it's yeah i guess that kind of explains why the movie is more referential to screen than it is to like other movies um 
and like why the person who gets killed in that killer opening sequence is a film studies professor. <laughs> um, but like, it doesn't quite, I feel like they could have pushed that a little further and gone a little further into the like, yeah, are we in kind of a post cinema age where like, yeah, I mean like this movie's a perfect example of it. Like, yeah, people still go to the movies now that the pandemic is sort of, you know, sort of kind of sort of receding and it feels a little safer out there. People do go back to the movies, but what do they go back to? They go back to, they go back to see Creed three to see scream six. They'll see John Wick four at the end of this month, but they're not going to go see any of the other movies. You know, they're not going to go see 65. They're not going to go see any of the kind of grown up movies or, or not grown up movies opening opposite these like franchisee titles. And I feel like there was a kind of an opportunity to like play around with some of that. Like, you know, I'm not saying they have to get like all super serious film twittery about the death of cinema and how kids don't appreciate it or whatever. But I did feel like there was a thread there that wasn't completely developed about, yeah, I don't know. Do the do movies really matter anymore? And it kind of mixes it up with a bunch of other stuff and sort of lets yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it gets into there. like, is it cancel culture that they're railing <laughs> against at the end? There's a part where the guy says like. Their, their character assassinate you in the in the print in the press now i couldn't get if that was cancel culture or is like taking a step back i was like is it like a commentary on how people like treated like you know like an amber heard type in right, the press right. like well, cause the that's conspiracy the conspiracy theories aspect of it too which is another, yes you know this is not the most coherent movie in terms of what it's yeah. trying to say you know? <laughs> yeah i think yeah. Which is what we're kind of circling here is that there's a lot yeah. of ideas floating around this thing they don't co- cohere in a way that i think is um i don't think you could walk away from this film thinking it's it's making any kind of um grand coherent statement about anything right yeah that's yeah true. it's instead of doing that it's gesturing a little at everything right which yeah is like again okay it makes for a great night at the movies but then you're sitting here trying to rank the franchise or whatever (laughs) like being a dork and you just start kind of poking holes in it um not to like diminish it though i really did have a great time i'm trying to think of other things we haven't mentioned yet can we talk did you guys go ahead oh i would love to talk about the opening sequence because yes yes you you start go ahead so we're assuming at this point that everyone listening has has seen the film Okay, so uh, the opening sequence obviously is a play on on the way that really all of the screen movies start. This kind of cold open where we're going to see somebody killed by Ghostface, um, and I but I think it, it subverts our expectations about that in a number of ways. I mean, that for starters, yep. I think even it being set in it's sort a of restaurant, um, right? being set in this this brightly lit restaurant, so immediately the game becomes how can this be a threatening space? You know, she's surrounded by people. So um, it cheats that a little bit because it has to kind of get her outside. But I think even starting there and asking the audience, are you going, can you possibly get freaked out by this sequence when she's in such a a space that's so um, ostensibly secure? You know, I think it's really smart. Um, Yes. And then also even the second subversion, which you may be about to get to, to me is like when the phone rings and it's like um, her date. You know, right. It's actually it, not Ghostface, right? Exactly. Yes. Well, it's just it is, at but, first, yeah. it's her date, and I'm like, yep. so they're riffing on the the opening has to have a phone call, but maybe it's not going to be Ghostface, and then yeah, you can keep going. Yep. Uh, so obviously, the big one that comes next is that we uh, we see the killer. He he, he takes the yeah. mask off. It's um, Tony Revolori um, from the uh, Grand Budapest Hotel in the Spider Man films, um, and uh, immediately the film is uh, is breaking that pattern. And I, I was very excited in this moment. I almost wish wish the movie 
had gone a little further with it. I sort of, um, yes, my mind was kind of racing with what, what would a screen movie look like where we knew who the killer was, you know? Yes. How could they yep, play same. with that in terms of a, a, of a sort of suspense device, you know, where he's yep. walking around and we know, but the characters don't know it's that whole Hitchcock, you know, the, the bomb under the table and the, it doesn't go off, you know? Um, right. yeah. So I loved that. And, and the third thing I loved about the opening sequence is, um, we get to hear the killer talking about killing someone. He kind of has this conversation yep. on the phone and that was creepy in a way that I don't think these movies ever, ever really broached where he's talking about what it feels. To kill I wrote somebody. it down, actually. you know, right. It, I mean, it's, because it's, when the knife went in, she wasn't even human anymore. She was like a piece of meat or whatever. I think it, she, uh, she became an animal. I think is what he says. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then, the, then meat. Yeah. Yeah. That's really creepy. I mean, that's creepy yeah, in a way is. these movies haven't been before because usually by the time we meet the killer, they're monologuing to Sydney. You know, they're, yes, they're yeah. you know, um, this is really, I mean, the, the, the seeing him sort of, uh, talking to who he thinks is the other killer, sort of, we're sort of getting him in an off moment. Um, I don't know. I mean, while Jason very... takes Manhattan is playing in the background. <laughs> right. Exactly. <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his name is Jason. <laughs> oh, he, his name is Jason, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Oh, I didn't wow. even think about that. Clever. Um, I, I just think that that opening sequence in, in some ways, I mean, I do think it, it sort of is the peak of the film and Agree. I, I wish the rest of it was as clever as that opening sequence, but it immediately locked me in. I was like, okay, I'm on this thing's side immediately. That fucking shot too, where like the, the mask gets revealed. It's like uncanny because it's yeah. like, are they holding for laughter from the crowd? Right. Like that's the, that's the, like I couldn't fathom what was happening. I'm like, is Ghostface waiting for the audience to stop laughing? Like what? Like, Cause he said some dumb line, like now I'm seeing red and then he kills her, which you realize later he's a gi- giallo guy. So like he's right. referencing <laughs> giallo stuff. Um, yeah, I totally agree. That scene, like, I don't know what I my physicality was in the theater, but like in my mind, I was like, oh my God, they're doing it. They're doing something yeah. I didn't expect. And it happened right away. And we're off to the fucking races. Jesse, oh, and him running into yeah. him running into um, to Tara on the way back, too. Yes. Oh, yes. terrific. You never terrific see stuff. the main characters that early. And it just feels like, yeah, it's 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 completely subverting the cold open to these films. Sorry, yeah. Jesse, you were. No, no, that's I think that's a great thing to bring. I think it all of what you're saying, uh, weirdly, I don't think the movie intends to because it, it feels like it very much feels ready to continue with more. Um with these characters, but in a weird way, it's hard for me to picture how they would do another whodunit, even though this movie then goes on to do a whodunit. Right. And it's like a pretty, it's a pretty silly one, even by scream standards. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, like they- the reason I'm so forgiving about it, I think is because I'm just like, Oh, it's scream too. That's okay. Yeah. Like- yeah. No, it's, it's, I was like with it and enjoying it and having, and having a good time. Uh, and it even kind of exp- halfway explains the sheer idiocy of like how it portrays police work and like FBI work <laughs> in the movie, which is so dumb. Uh, I don't mean like out of some like, oh, it's disrespectful to the police or whatever. I just mean like it, it you can get away with it in Woodsboro where it's like, oh, Dewey's kind of a bumbler. And it's right. kind of a small town. So there aren't that many people. And here it's like it's the New York City police force and the FBI, except all these stuff gets by them. And 
to just like investigate in the dumbest ways where like the guy who's the dad of the roommate of someone who knows the killer is like is like oh yeah i'll take that case sure <laughs> yeah when he's and, in like i'm scene, i'm like they would never let him at the fuck yeah they would scene. and like again it's very it's all very it's heightened all, and there um, yeah and there's ultimately a re- like even the even kirby being kind of a weird like attempt at a hard-bitten fbi agent it's even kind of explained where they say oh yeah she was she was actually let go from the fbi six months ago because she was like not do- i don't know i don't know what she was supposed to have been doing um so like yeah okay they kind of excuse some of that stuff with with the plotting but it's so silly and it has to kind of exist in this vacuum where no other cops or fbi agents are like saying hey wait doesn't this make no sense um <laughs> But like, which is fine. Like, it's fine for this for this movie. Like, I think in the moment, this movie works very well. But that opening, as Alex describes, is so good, and all the little touches, and up to including you see him. He knows Jenna Ortega so chilling that he like knows her already. Um, it kind of makes you go, oh yeah. Like as as Alex thought, I was like, oh, are they going to do something different? We're not going to do a whodunit this time. That's really cool. And I do feel like there's diminishing returns for this because the whodunit solution in this is basically well it's not much like with the characters getting killed it's not going to be any of the four characters you like right and it's not going to be gail or sydney and i think that's right it's we've come to we've come way too far for it to be like oh sydney was the killer all along (laughs) she snapped like i don't want to see that that's that seems to me like disrespectful to the to the extent that you can be disrespectful in a slasher movie so then but that also means that you don't ever have anyone who can make an interesting or surprising killer and the answer in this one is like yeah you know like the 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 characters who aren't dead and aren't the main characters which is to say most of them they all did it you know like there's no like i think the well, that's the, what uh, i mean when i said it was like disposable once you like get to the end of it and you're like okay well yeah well, none of the characters died and the people who did it are these new fucking people you didn't know yeah. and we just invented yeah. go home and come back for the next one like and it I th- seems I think a little the fifth one play. does a better yeah. job yeah the fifth one does a better job of even though it's not a shocker like oh it's the character you really come to love it's actually tara or it's actually sam whatever or it's actually sydney but like the boyfriend iteration and jack quaid does a good enough job of playing like a kind of sweet goober that you really don't think that it's him at least i didn't think it was him uh i thought it was like that works well enough it's surprising enough he's like a capable enough star that it it feels like a little bit of a surprise this one even though dermot mulroney is a familiar face he also sticks out like a sore thumb because he's the only guy in the cast who's like not of a certain you know young age pretty much uh except for gail who obviously isn't going to be the killer and so there's like there's no real juice to the reveal and i do think you could do a movie with these characters and i think you if, if you wanted to move this this movies going forward and keep using the core four and i think i think a lot of fans want that and i think probably the filmmakers want that then it's going to be really hard to do a whodunit because it is just, you know, then it's like an episode of Poker Face, except not as well constructed, where it's right. like, well, you got to, you know, well, there's a new cast of people and one of them is going to be a killer. And like, I am Poker Face is, I mentioned because it's interesting because they always, Columbo style, tell you who the killer is in the first, you know, half of the episode. And I feel like you might have to do something like that or something different with the structure of these things if you were going to do a Scream 7. Again, not to be like Mr. Annoying fanboy theory guy. I just mean like, I, would want to see i'm in the weird position of wanting to see these four characters in another scream movie and it would be excited to 
and also yeah. would have no idea how you could make a credible murder mystery, which is interesting because well, most slasher movies aren't murder mysteries, as they point out in Scream 5. Like most of them, there's a consistent killer. Um, so it's like, I know that's like this series thing is that they yeah, do the whodunit they're, version. They're whodunits. They're suspenseful yeah. slasher whodunits or whatever. Yeah. But like, I feel like they, that's the thing they've really come to the end of, even more than the meta commentary, which I feel like there will always be other cultural things you can pull in and stuff. But the idea of who's the person behind the mask, I just feel like that, as much as I like this movie, that feels so played out by the end of this one. There's just no emotional kick to it in this one. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, the, the, the characters have virtually no relationship to these people. I mean, one of yeah. them, one of them is, I mean, okay, so we're, yeah, at this point. We're, we're spoiler. We're in the spoiler territory. One of, yeah. okay, so one of them, is, they're both roommates, but we don't get the sense that, um, that our characters are that close to them, you know? <laughs> no, no. They're um, likable. I, th- I found Leona li- Liberato likable because I liked her in Banana Split and a couple other things I've seen her in, but like, like, she has like two like scenes. Spider? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I I didn't recognize him as Spider to my great shame, even though I love Spider and he's a <laughs> wonderful little boy. Um, but I, but yeah, so like I like those actors from other things, but they don't really do that much in this movie. Like especially Spider, he really just gets like he just complains a lot about being a suspect and then is a suspect. Like right. you know, yeah. I mean, I will say Maroni has a very funny um, when they're like. But basically, he's like, it's obviously me. You know, that's uh, yeah. his <laughs> yeah. delivery in that moment is pretty good. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's a pro. But like, it's not you're right. There's no emotional like even the temporary, you know, you're not like you were super emotionally attached to Jack Quaid. But there is that kind of zing of betrayal it's that betrayal. you get. Like, you I see, mean, this thing yeah. is barely a betrayal. It's like, oh, no, yeah, my no. roommate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who hasn't assumed that their roommate might murder them at some point? Like, <laughs> that's just par for the course. Well, the good news for us is if they keep following the formula of like Scream 5 is Scream 1, Scream 6 is Scream 2, Scream 7 is going to be Scream 3, which means we're going to get another movie about Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> which is really exciting for me. Dad, when's the last time you watched 3? Have you watched it post-Weinstein? Because it is a different movie. It I is. Think. No, I have. Um, okay, I watched go. it a couple years ago. And you still dislike it. I do. It, it, there's just too much silly bullshit in that one. I mean, like where they can like clone other people's voices and they blow up a house. I mean, it's just yeah. that one. Just like, there are some smart. There are a few smart things in that movie, and I do think that the it's it's enormously weird and I don't know good. I, I'm not sure really what to say about the fact that they made a, a Miramax movie that was about the casting couch and about sexual predators in Hollywood. That's very strange, but it's interesting at least. Um, yeah, that meta dimension, but uh, on a whole, that one just gets way, way too stupid for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I haven't, I didn't rewatch one, two, three, four this time around like I did um, before five, which I'm sure Jesse and I covered them on the show. I think ahead of ahead yes, of yes, we did episodes on all of them. Yes, um, um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to go through my notes. It's the stray notes. So if you were going to say something, go for it. No, no. I was just going to say, like, it's interesting. We like they were I found them fun to rewatch for that series. Uh, but I also kind of stand by like, it's OK if you never want to watch a, a screen. If you watch a screen movie once and then never go back to it, you might be happier doing that. Um, I know it's always fun to do the franchise rewatch and such a meta one, especially you would think, you know, you have your own stabathon and watch. Yeah. 
one through five, but it almost did me a service. This one coming out so soon after five where I was like, oh, I'm not going to go back and rewatch yeah. Screams again. Like I'll I'll put on five while I'm falling asleep and like get a little refresher on like who uh, who Sam and Tara are. But like even then I was like, yeah, yeah, it's my buddy Jenna Ortega well, from speak- Wednesday. Since you brought them up and I mean, another big we talked about this, I guess, but like specifically the relationship between Jenna Ortega and Melissa Barrera in this one. Maybe that's why it like I'm on record, Alex, as thinking <laughs> Melissa Barrera is like horrible in five. Oh, okay. And I think she is like totally fine in six. And I'm just trying to think of why that is. And I think it's because maybe it's just like not saddled with particularly hard to do dialogue. Like you're telling me I'm in fan fucking fiction. It's a horrible delivery in that on that one. But I think it's because, again, we talk about the characters being likable and stuff. Like, I just, like, care about them now for some reason. And, like, I just found myself consistently surprised by how much I cared about the quote-unquote core four, how little I cared about, like, what was going on with Gale. I totally... Another thing this movie... The movie should have killed Gale. Why didn't they kill Gale? I feel like I was of two minds. When I thought she was dead, I was like, okay, fair enough. She gets a good closing line about like, you know, he didn't get me or whatever. Uh, and like, okay, this this really sends off the three of them if they're not going to have Neve back. And I do think as much as it sucks that Neve was uh, out, out of this movie because of salary negotiations, presumably would have done a, a cameo similar to the cameo I would have pictured Stallone probably would have done in Creed three. You know, if, if, if Stallone was making a joke a, about like uh, the cloud or whatever, isn't that what he does <laughs> in, in Creed? Oh, what's the cloud? Oh, what's the cloud? I don't know, man. Uh, no, I, I mean, I think he would, there was a funeral in Creed three that that probably Rocky would have oh, attended. Yeah. And well, that, he, had, that would, he got, into, if he didn't get into a fight with the producer of the movie, yeah, or whatever. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Similarly, I imagine that Nev Campbell's role in this was not going to be like, running around kicking ghost face no, in the nuts. I think like, it would I have think... been very akin to what Gales is like. Yeah, or less even. I, I even wonder if you would see her on the phone call that she, that Gale kind of art, you know, gracelessly conveys to them. Um so uh, I, I kind of agree, like as much as it's like a very obvious patch job on her not being there, the sentiment she expresses, like she deserves to have a happy ending. Yeah, and I not agree be, with all of it. I was yeah. like, I was like right on like scream three has a great ending. Also, that's another reason I like it a lot. Um, that has like the kind of boldness to say like, we're leaving the door open in a, the exact opposite way. Like she leaves the door open, like in a in way a that says the way. series yeah. is over. Yeah. Like yes. <laughs> love Somehow it. Uh, the open door means it's over and not. A yeah. Clear. I think yeah. that's like such a clever. Oh, I love that actually. Um, so I didn't really yeah, want to Scream see three fucking rocks. You guys rock. <laughs> <again. laughs> um, but I, so I could see, okay, well, if Gale gets killed here, then that kind of settles the three of them. And you don't need to try to check in with them again for future scream sequels. You could, but it, it would also kind of bum me out to have th- of the three core people from the first three movies to yeah. have four, four movies to have two of them dead would be pretty shitty. The Gale thing though, they don't really know what to do with her. Like yeah. they, they just every sequel they just have everyone mad at her already. From yeah, don't you feel bad for her? Like just like it's six movies in and they're still like fucking Gale and yeah, like they're, they, and they're making her character be this the like there's no growth in terms yeah. of like I'm glad you Gale's that up, this likable. It bugs me. It, it bugs yeah, you. It does bug me uh, a little bit the the seesawing yeah. with her because I feel like we've seen multiple times now her learning some kind of lesson about you know she shouldn't be this tabloid vulture you know she yes. she has this emotional growth and then the movies just have to take her back to square one. Yeah, yeah. it's not fair. It's, it's just, not fair. In this, to her. Your plot in this one, it's 
Yeah, it's particularly egregious here because it doesn't really serve a plot purpose except to maybe keep her at a distance well, for a little get, longer than it would otherwise. You get the great callback to the punch, which I think is yeah, great. <laughs> it is like it's like who doesn't love to see Jenna Ortega, our short queen, throw a throw a punch. Uh, but like but that that's all you get out of it, really. It's like that momentary zing of like, ah, Jenna Ortega punch her in the face, which is great. I mean, we, all, like, we all knew it was coming, right? I yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah no, yeah. They, they, completely. I um, probably very obnoxiously was like punch right before it happened. <laughs> I almost, I almost think it would be funnier if they did it completely unjustified. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, she just shows <laughs> up and they punch her in the face. Yeah, yeah. Like they, we saw the know, other ones. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they punch her for some story online, and she's like, "That was actually not me at all." You know, <laughs> like yeah, like I think that would that would be better than just like Alex says, just have her character go back every time, uh, and then to have her, and then if she dies after that happens it feels especially like kind of punishing and grim but again i also kind of hope they just leave her out of the next one or or again just have her you know have send her an have her send an email or something good for courtney cox for you know collecting the paycheck i just feel like let the let the core four be and not and and leave those poor two survivors from the first movies alone (laughs) let them have their lives so a birdie tells me that scream seven is written and that it is planned to go, you know, just as fast as this one did. Um, we'll see if that comes to fruition. But I guess a spoiler alert for that. Take grain of salt and don't listen if you don't want to know a potential spoiler, vague spoiler about Seven. It's, it's not about something that's in it. It's about something that wouldn't be in it. I'll say it now. Nev Campbell is not coming back in that one either. So, like, it... I mean, I guess that's kind of implied by the way that that the breakup happened, that like this is not an amicable situation. But like you'd think this movie's going to make a fuck ton of money that they're going to be like, Nev, we're sorry. Here's double what you asked for or whatever. Like you think (laughs) that they would figure that out. But from what I understand, they're writing seven or no, seven's written and it will be announced shortly. It'll be out next year. And the core four presumably are back. And I'm all into that. Um, The other thing about Scream that I have written down, so Scream 6 I'm sure you all caught it, but did you think it was just a joke or was it a tease of the future? There's some, someone talks about, I think it's when the, they're in the museum part and it's like the TV that killed Stu Mocker and someone goes, oh, it's the TV that kills Stu Mocker. And someone else goes, yeah, if you believe that. Yeah. Um, oh. Do you think that's a joke about fandom and people wanting that to happen or is that them setting up themselves for it to happen i guess the beauty of scream is you never know right it God, be, i hope uh, it's a joke <laughs> i mean there's a question or i don't know if it's a question i basically read someone's maybe it was just a letterbox review even but someone was like i'm sick of these whodunits make ghostface like a fucking entity like not a person ghostface <laughs> is now like a jason type figure that just isn't there isn't anyone under the mask it's just ghostface and like that like compels me a little bit but also would that just be a completely different thing and not scream anymore like is that enticing to either of you at all no i mean yeah i think uh, yeah good no go ahead I want them to do something different. I mean, again, how excited I got with the beginning of this film, thinking that it, there might be a different direction. Um, clearly, I would love if they tried, if they if they genuinely subverted the whole whodunit thing. But, I mean, if he's just, if Ghostface is just this entity, then how is it different than a million other slasher movies? Yeah. 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 It's, I do, I, I agree. It's I, part of me, the, the, a dark, stupid part of me wants them to like, <laughs> 
torpedo uh, themselves by doing something really fucked up. Like, you know, the stuff they joke about in uh, one of my favorite things in Scream 4 is the uh, nesting opening sequence. Yes. And I and I feel like I don't remember if that if we actually see evidence of time travel or if someone just alludes to one of the sequels having time travel. I think they allude it, to it. Yeah. Uh, which I found very funny. And I love that idea of like stab going on and having its own late period, you know, uh, like fuckery in the style well, of Halloween or doesn't whatever. Doesn't this one kind of have that bent with like the Sam being a potential killer aspect looming over the whole thing? It that does. It has some Halloween very, four. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it feels like that era of slasher a little bit. And yeah. like, was that a direction you'd want to see it? Would you want to see Sam as a killer in in, I, in in seven? And like, would it be something where they reveal it at the end? Or I think it's more compelling if we know the whole time. Like, there's so I many want to see her as a, I, yeah. I like the relationship between her and her sister so much. I wouldn't want to see her as the as the killer. That's something that we really haven't done so far. Is like take a beloved character, and I think that's kind of nice that they haven't take one of the core characters because it's egregiously stupid. Probably though, yeah, yeah, and, and say, oh, by the way, they're a murderer. Um, I I like the idea of her wrestling with it a little bit, or her, like you know the idea, and they kind of cover this in the climax of the movie where she's like she's kind of good at it, you know, like <laughs> it's not just she's defending herself and and people. Well, get yeah, killed. you the- get that in five too. Like she fucking goes hard in five to the point where you're a little concerned, and then it yeah. happens again. <laughs> yeah, but it's triumphant because it's yeah. the bad guys or whatever exactly and i wouldn't mind seeing that explored a little more i don't know if i want to hurt see her turning into a you know a, a crazy murderer um but it's it's so funny too the idea that scream might actually become the like very 80s style once a year slasher movie like that is it's been so long i mean i guess saw saw brought that back in the 2000s yeah. but it's yeah. so funny you play like the box office game or whatever and you see like oh yeah there was a friday the 13th or nightmare on elm street almost every year so yeah. usually both uh of them if if not at least one of them uh of every year of the 80s basically i predict uh, that that era will return i mean it's already happening with scream but i, I mean specifically those two will come back soon I think. And do you think they'll do? Do you think they'll maintain that crazy like I mean, annual if, pace? That just isn't how sequels are made. Mostly now, even when they try to shoot them back, you're to right, back, and it, like they never do that. I guess this is an argument that it can be done successfully, right? And Scream Two was as well, even though it's like a cautionary tale for so many reasons. But like yeah. the movie worked, so like I don't think it's impossible. But you're right; they just don't do it anymore. But I don't know. Scream could be a sea change moment for legacy horror. They're gonna. I wonder if they're gonna pass. I mean, they will because they anything. I think anything they do future with Friday, Friday or Nightmare will be like or another reboot. But they're gonna. So they're gonna pass those. You know, there's seven Nightmare on Elm Street movies, right? If you don't count the remake, and f- seven in the roughly in that continuity, depending on how you count New Nightmare. And there's ten Jasons in that continuity. So there's six screams. They're gonna tie it up with Nightmare at, at least, and probably pass it. And then they then they're just gonna knock off and, seven. You know, uh, Scream knock has off a, a, Scream has a three-season TV show. I believe two seasons are connected, and the third one is a separate Scream TV show. And Nightmare on Elm Street had a TV show. Friday the 13th had a TV show. All these things. I mean, it's you're right. It is becoming... It's a true legacy. Yeah. It's becoming... Yeah, it's become it's just as legacy as those older ones. Um, we've talked for two hours, and I feel like I told Alex it would take an hour, so I, <laughs> I really fucked you up. You told him it would be an hour? Oh, man. I wouldn't, well, that was Alex, before, that was before he was going to do the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I would like to offer Alex a, you know, closing statement or also just (laughs) if you have any notes that you didn't get to or anything you want to talk about that we didn't get to, now's your chance or you can just, you know, plug your stuff. 
Um, I will say that while having this conversation about this movie, I actually thought about about the uh, about Scream Five and Scream Six, and the distinction between them. And I think the sort of thought that popped into my head was that Scream Five to me feels like The Force Awakens. I don't think anybody involved in it would even deny that connection. You know, yeah, that's what it's hundred percent. Probably love it. They're yeah, probably, they probably reference <laughs> it in that movie. I don't remember. But I'm sure I think they, they mention it in the movie. Yeah, uh, but yeah. six to me feels more like the Last Jedi, and I don't think it's quite as much of a leap in quality. But I do think that its relationship to, say, Scream Two is pretty similar to say the Last Jedi's relationship to Empire Strikes Back. Where oh, interesting. Not relentlessly mirroring it. It's not all about how much is this thing exactly like this other thing. But there are there are motifs that are shared. There are moments that act as mirrors, you know. And in a kind of spiritual sense, I think it it, it, it is linked to that film. So um, that I think, in some on some level, might explain why uh, I like this one so much more than the previous one. One question: Did you concoct that connection in a very successful bid to make me like it even more? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, perfect. Yeah, this was a targeted conversation. That's not. Actually, that's, we're was, not even recording. About getting Jesse on board, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not even recording the podcast at this point. That was just you talking to Jesse. Uh, Jesse, any uh, final word from you on, on on Scream Six? No, I mean, I, I mean, I, just that I, I really do enjoy these movies, and you know, I, I feel like there's plenty of things you could poke at. I feel like I had spent a lot of time like poking at a lot of like things that didn't quite work or don't quite make sense. But like in the moment of this movie, I was just having a blast with it, it's, which is similar to how I felt about, about five. And I probably even had a better time watching six than I did with five. Cause I was not as disoriented by the new characters. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, I feel like they're much higher quality on average than most slasher series. Like the average is even if, you know, I know some people are down on different ones, different sequels. But I think if you average out the quality of the six screen movies, it's like a much better average entertainment value than you get from, I haven't seen a lot of the Friday the 13th. And I, I like Friday the 13th sure quite well. Objectively the worst franchise. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, I love uh, the new Halloweens and I love the first Halloween, but like there's a lot in the middle I don't love. Uh, so I feel like this one is, you know, has a respectable batting average and I want to make it clear, even though I nitpick a little bit, I think nitpicking is kind of in the, in the wheelhouse of these movies. Like you kind of, they kind of encourage it. I'll yeah. say uh, they, they, it's like in the form of audience participation, instead of yelling, don't go in there, you yell, that's not fucking where that is in New York. Uh, although you yell, the Candyman reboot isn't canon. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah that is more actually I, uh, the geography of this movie actually isn't bad new york wise it just doesn't like it just was clearly not shot here like they don't get anything egregiously wrong i appreciate like they don't they don't say we're going downtown and then pop out at columbia or something which is a lot of, a lot of movies will do um but yeah i think it's it's a blast of a movie and, and it's i kind of welcome the opportunity to like nitpick a whole series of like half smart half stupid slasher sequels <laughs> i really appreciate it yeah, I'm with you. I think this movie is a blast. I think you should definitely see it in a theater. Um, we'll circle back before Scream 7 and see how we feel about it then. Um, read Alex Dowd, A.A. Dowd byline on Cron. Movie reviews every week. Cron.com. C-H-R-O-N. Uh, Jesse is on Twitter at Rock Marooned. Writes for SportsAlcohol.com. Writes for Polygon. Writes for other places. Um, 
And I have my Roger and Me podcast, which is a podcast that is an imitation Siskel and Ebert show where me and fellow Chicago film critic Mark Dusick um, review every movie every week as if we are Siskel and Ebert uh, because it's we are gluttons for punishment. This I feel week, like when yeah, I've listened ahead. to it, you guys don't get mad at each other. I've listened to it. I know. I've never, We're I never working catch you guys it. getting mad at each We're other. We're working on it. We're very cordial. Every time we have a disagreement, we're just like, yeah, I see what you're saying, but like, it's very, we need to, I'm going to bring some, some boxing gloves next time. Um, <laughs> but we'll be talking about Scream on there this week, as well as 65 and two movies that I can only describe as like CBS procedural <laughs> pilot quality. Um, and one of them has like Morgan Freeman and Cole Hauser in it. It's one of those like tax shelter movies like, i don't understand how they're real um so that's my plug and we're gonna end uh with dewey's theme because oh, i really appreciated the dewey's moment theme. i don't know if you guys caught it as well yes of course yeah when courtney cox is talking about dewey and they play his theme which you may remember jesse is from broken arrow <laughs> it's, yeah it's a it's, it was a temp score from broken arrow that they kept in the movie and it Classic has lasted Dewey. It has lasted through the ages, so we're going to end on that. Uh, Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Just can't cope with the freaky stuff.